guys, welcome and welcome back to the podcast. I've been meaning to watch that. I am your host, Monica. Guys, it is a new week, new topic, new guest. And this week, I have a brand new guest. This guy is has a phenomenal podcast that I listen to. And we follow each other on Instagram. And I was so happy when he agreed to be on the pod. So I'm just going to pass it over to him and let him introduce himself to you guys. Hi, my name is Lee. I'm from uh, one half of Spro and Lee Take on the Academy. And um, I'm a fan of I've Been Meaning to Watch That. So thanks for having me on, Monica. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for saying that. I did not make her say it. I appreciate it regardless. <laughs> she did not. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for coming on, Lee. Guys, today we're going to be talking about Hannibal Lecter, a character that has been in, you know, pop culture for so long and we're going to be talking about him in the movie silence of the lamps which is a phenomenal phenomenal film that i know you've heard of you've probably seen and if you haven't seen it i don't blame you the movie's released in the 90s <laughs> no it's fine but it is on hbo if you do want to watch it and if you do have it so we're going to be diving into that film discussing it giving our analysis and our thoughts but before we get into silence of the lamps we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, some pop culture news, new releases, things of that sort. And I do want to start off the podcast by showing my support to the actors um, who are currently on strike right now. Uh, right now, SAG-AFTRA is currently in negotiations with AMPTP, as you all know, uh, trying to get a fair deal for actors, stunt people, dancers, lots of other um, working professionals in the Hollywood industry as of right now. And we know that the WGA came to a tentative deal with AMPTP, and I did sign that deal, I believe, last week, which is awesome and amazing. It is a new three-year deal that they have solidified within, you know, the workings of their union, and SAG-AFTRA is now seeking that as well. And with the SAG-AFTRA strike, of course, it's come with production delays and other filming delays and so many other things that come out of the Hollywood industry due to the strike. But that's fine. That's okay. We'll survive. You know what I mean? So I just want to show my support to the actors who are currently on strike. I am wishing you guys the best of luck. And I truly do hope that you get the fair pay that you really do deserve. You know, and I was actually talking to a friend of mine about the actor strike recently, and it is a little weird moving in like the creative space right now with the strike because um, just this week I went to go see the movie Blue Beetle. I don't know if you've seen it. You probably have heard of it. I don't know if you've watched it. No. Are you a superhero? I'm not getting around. <laughs> you know, uh, I jumped in for the final. I, I don't even know the name. I don't even know which phase it was, but as soon as it. I started to see the writing on the wall with Infinity War mm -hmm. and then obviously Endgame. I was like, okay, well, I need I need to do some catching up here. So, but man, I've seen a few since Endgame and yeah. have been uh, not super impressed. So. <laughs> to be honest, I I expected that response from you because most people that I know that like actually care about the Academy Awards don't care about superhero movies and i'm one of those rare people that i love indie films and i also love superhero movies but that's just because i just like movies in general and when i was watching blue beetle um it was a re really good movie in the way where it's like i had fun i enjoyed this and you know what some things didn't work for me but i happily ignore it just to have a good time with the movies because that's what i signed up for to watch blue beetle that's i knew what i was signing up for you know and i think the one thing that kind of made me sad was this movie is so much fun and so great and the one thing i miss was like the you know promotion 
that actors do. You know, when a new movie comes out, they like go on BuzzFeed and they read the fan tweets and they go on Variety and they do the little like uh, interviews where they wear the same outfit in like 20 different interviews that you randomly see on TikTok. And you get to see the, the cast interact with each other. You learn more about the actors and they talk about like their set schedule, filming, you learn behind the scenes and stunt work, blah, blah, blah. And that's what I love the most about watching movies is learning the behind the scenes. And that's a little thing that does suck from the actor strike is that we're not getting like the promotional stuff from it, which is causing a lot of films to be delayed because a lot of studios really rely on actors to do the promotion themselves. So people go watch the movie, but um, it's something that I could live with. <laughs> like it's just the small things, you know, but I can live with that. And I think that's the reason why one movie, the bike riders is being delayed because, you know, right now there's a prohibish prohibition on talent doing any promotion. And the bike riders is a new movie with, Jodie, hold on, Jodie McComber, not Jodie Foster, um, Tom Hardy, and Austin Butler. And, and Michael Shannon. And Michael, oh, Michael Shannon's in the movie too? Yeah, oh. directed, uh, written and directed by Jeff Nichols, oh. who I'm a, a very big fan of Jeff Nichols. I'm excited to see this movie. Really? Yes, yeah. yes. I was more upset. I was more upset when I read that today than I was when I heard Dune, Dune 2 got... Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, not a huge, not a huge Dune fan. Really, I actually love Dune. Really? Yeah, I could not get in. It was like wonderful two hour and fifty minute nap for me. So. Wow. But, but yeah, no bike riders. That bummed me out when I saw that that was that was delayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does suck because so many things have been delayed. To the point where we're now in the end of 2023 and I'm just thinking about all the movies that should have been released by now, but haven't been released. It's kind of like, oh, this is really going to set us back. And then now people are talking about award season, but I don't even know if we can do award season if the actors can't go, right? feel like there's precedent to that. Uh -huh. um, that's a good question. That's a good question. I feel like there may have been a year when there was a strike. Because don't certain movie, or rather, shit, I don't even know how it works. <laughs> don't they get passes sometimes? Like, um, you know, they'll go to the union and be like, hey, can I please? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. oh, yeah. So maybe it's a, an issue of that where it's like, come on, it's award season. It's, you uh -huh. know, it's a big thing. And who knows? Who knows? I think if a studio has, like, agreed to the terms, then they can proceed. Like, A24 agreed to the terms for to the wga before they reached the deal so they were able to like, uh, move forward with some of their filming so that could be one of the stipulations oh, right on i did not know that okay um let's see so there was also news today that the boy heron <laughs> it has a star-studded english dub voice cast which i am excited for but i don't like voice dubs like I just I don't with you I'm with you me too me neither me neither <laughs> like I'm excited like I'm happy that everyone is happy that like all these famous people like uh, Christian Bale Dave Bautista are gonna be in this you know amazing movie by Mr. Miyazaki oh my gosh I always say his last name wrong Mi Miyazaki Miyazaki okay great <laughs> his 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 most his most recent final film mm-hmm <laughs> doing the, this is my last one 
<laughs> no, this is my last one. Did it his... like, this one's for real, my last one. Wait, did his, like, studio or, like, I don't know. Studio Ghibli? Yeah, yeah. Were they like, hey, you can't keep doing this, my guy. Like... I think so. I think so. <laughs> I would be the same way, too. It's like, you keep saying this is your last one. And we keep saying, hey, like, I okay. mean, he's making a lot of people happy because yes. he is so beloved. Yeah, he is. He is phenomenal. And honestly, I think it's really funny that he keeps, like, jerking the chain of his studios. Like, this is my last one. I swear. I swear. And they're like, hey, I hope I hope Tarantino does the same thing. I was like, <laughs> all right, no, just kidding. Here's 11. No, wait, just kidding. Here's number 12. You know what? 13. 13? Lucky number. You know? Hey. But I don't know. We'll see. I'll just go see the... I mean, I'll just go see the original film with the subtitles. Because dubbed films and TV shows, I just feel like they're bad. You know, some things get lost in translation. You know what I mean? It's not the same. It's not hard to watch subtitles, guys. It's not that difficult. Like, I watched Parasite. It wasn't that hard to, like, read the, and then watch the movie. Like, you act like it's such an exercise. God. Please get do over you watch? Do you watch, um, when you watch English films yeah you know or Amer- american films if you watch content in english do you use subtitles yeah same i, just... same. <laughs> I find it i find it because if it's it's like i mean it can be distracting sometimes but i usually if i watch a movie once i'm mm-hmm. probably going to watch it a second or third time so yeah I, I see why some people don't like it i find it comforting yeah also I am going to be honest, I don't usually rewatch movies, which is weird because I have a movie podcast and oftentimes I have to rewatch things. And generally speaking, I'm the kind of person where like, I saw the movie, I know what happened. I don't need to see it again. Like, unless it's I get a, like, unless it's like a precedented movie, unless it's like Parasite, everything ever all at once, Moonlight, The Last Black Man in like San Francisco, I'll rewatch those movies. I will. But if it's just like a movie you know i'm not gonna rewatch it because i uh, i love i love rewatching movies i love it really yep yes can you hear my wife just flush the toilet in the bathroom no <laughs> okay good wasn't sure um yeah yeah i do i mean i it uh sometimes especially if it's a a, a film that i'm really looking forward to i'm a very anxious person mm-hmm. and i will go i will go into it feeling really anxious like Oh my god, what is it going to be about? Oh my god, is what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And so then once once I absorb all of that anxiety and I get it out of my system and the movie's over, then I can watch it a second time anxiety free cuz I know what happens and then I can kind of more look at I feel like I'm stealing something that uh, Quentin Tarantino said one time. <laughs> it's the second time I brought up Tarantino. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he said he liked to do. He liked to kind of the second time around, maybe look at the craft a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, oh. yeah, I mean, you don't have comfort movies that you throw on, like. I mean, I have comfort movies. I do. Yeah. But... So you rewatch those, right? No. 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 Really? I mean, to be honest, a, my my comfort that's movies are like a comfort movie. Yeah, but my comfort movies are like you know, Princess Diaries and She's the Man. If I turn on MTV or TBS on any Saturday, it's going to be on. So. <laughs> Wow, you have cable? <laughs> I kind of have cable. I have YouTube you. TV. So it's it's like cable, um, but not really. You know what I mean? Right on. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> He's the man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely a comfort movie. Um, yeah. And Anne Hathaway, 
love her in Princess Diaries. Also, she has a new film coming out called Eileen, which I feel like is supposed to be like Carol with a mix of... Have you seen Sanctuary? Or have you heard of that movie? Have I seen what movie? Sanctuary. Um, have you heard of it? No, it's a very vague title. Mm-hmm. I might have. <laughs> I know it's a vague title. What's that, What's that about? It's, What's that about? It's, um, crap. Who is in it? I've heard of Carol. You said Carol. So Carol? it's like Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara one? Yeah. Um, Eileen okay. is a film about, like, this young woman. She works in a prison. And Hath- Anne Hathaway is the newest prison psychiatrist, I believe, or psychologist. And they form this bond with each other. And the movie is giving Ooh. very much, like, Hitchcockian suspense of, like, levels of nice. thriller, intense of, like, ooh, maybe they're, like, into each other. Who knows? I'm into whisper, that. Whisper, whisper. You know, I uh-huh, just uh-huh. <laughs> I just saw the trailer today, so I am a bit excited for it. Um, and Sanctuary was a movie that I think came out, and, you know, it's one of those movies where, like, either you've heard of it or you haven't heard of it, but it's definitely a, uh independent film. Um, I have to look it up real quick because I forgot the actor's name. It starts Margaret Qualey and Christopher Abbott. And Margaret it's Mark. about, yeah. Have, have you heard of Margaret Qualey? Yes, that's uh, Margaret Margaret Qualley is uh, Andy McDowell's daughter. She Quali. was, um, I saw her and fell in love with her. And here's the third Tarantino reference. In what's Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> See, adorable in that movie. Psychotic, but adorable. Whenever I ask someone if they've seen her, what they've seen her in, they either say that movie or they say The Nice Guys. And for me, it's The Nice Guys. But... I saw a clip with her about a TV. It was it was either a made-for-TV movie or it was a, a new TV. It's a new TV show. It's called The Nanny. Have you heard of this? Or The Maid? It's or called Housekeeper. Maid. Is it, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I saw a clip. I saw a clip where she's got her daughter with her and she's in like a, a welfare office and, mm-hmm. you know, and the, they're giving her the runaround and she's like, what is this fuckery? I was like, yeah. oh, I would watch that. That looks cool. Yeah. Plus it, she's cute as hell. So yeah, <laughs> it is on Netflix. Um, that is something that I have been meaning to watch for a while. Um, oh, yeah. she said it. She said it. <laughs> Please. She said it. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times people say that with the podcast is like it's it's funny it's it's a calling card at that point but good yeah. title <laughs> thank you thank you for thank you for complimenting the title of this podcast you're currently on you know um what was i saying oh yeah sanctuary it's about this guy he owns he inherited his father's hotel chain and he has this very long-standing relationship with his dominatrix and the movie when the film is set it's like their last night together. So it's supposed to be like very intense. And also it's distributed by Neon. So, you know, it's already going to be pretty spicy. So that's new? It is. I think it was... Oh, wait. No, it's not new. It released last year. Damn. Okay, it's new on Hulu. Never mind. <laughs> I'm wrong. <laughs> and Margaret Qualley plays... The dominatrix. the dominatrix. Yes, she does. Good gravy, Marie. Okay. Check that one out. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to. Bring I'm learning things. This is nice. This is nice. Thank you. You're welcome. You're so welcome. You know, we love to learn, and sometimes there are things that we don't need to learn. Like the everything I've learned about Jada and Will's relationship, I'm done. 
Uh. I'm done. I'm over it. Just wanted to... <laughs> I've never mentioned that on the podcast before because once the slap happened, it was like, okay, whatever is going on between them, like the three people, I don't care. I'm over it. Like y'all can, you know, handle it. But at this point, I feel like it's run its course. I feel like it's done. And me, I personally am exhausted because like I am a huge Will Smith fan. Like I've um, been a fan since obviously Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And throughout his entire career, I have followed all of his movies and all of his shows. And also Jada Pickett-Smith, who is a very talented actress. Um, And I knew the background already for Chris Rock's relationship with Jada because he was interested in her in the 90s or in the early 2000s. And he always was trying to ask her out. And she always said no. Because, you know, I wasn't I wasn't sure if that was bullshit or not. (laughs) No, it's it's definitely a thing. And, you know, comedians always like. I don't know what it is about them. There's no other word for it. They're kind of horny. They, they hit above the above the belt. They yeah. go, go for the girl way out of their league. Yes. Every time. No offense, Chris. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times, like, because guys are funny, they feel like they can, like, get the girl. And sometimes that does okay. work. But sometimes it does not. And no. from the point of, like, the slap until now, it has just been a complete, like, cascading avalanche of oversharing and usually i'm the kind of person where i'm like if an actor wants to share things about their personal life with the public it's because they are comfortable enough to do that because in our culture we feel like we're entitled to famous people's personal lives and everything that's going on with them and if you feel comfortable sharing this and you feel like i'm going to tell you something about myself and it simply is what it is i've accepted it and everyone else can learn about it too like carrie washington talking about the fact that her father is not her real father and she her mom got a sperm donor so that she could be born and her then writing a memoir and then then her parents doing interviews with her her doing that is because she's comfortable sharing that with other people because there may be other people have experienced that and they see like some kind of like they have compassion for her and they see themselves in her story and they understand where she's coming from so with that situation that's fine jada talking about her alopecia perfectly fine because you know black women do put a lot of like emphasis on their hair and their appearance and that's a big thing in like black female culture and everything and then relationships i never knew that (laughs) that i never knew how how much of a pain in the ass yeah good good hair was for black women until i watched chris rock's documentary yeah (laughs) ironic couldn't fucking I couldn't fucking believe it. Like, I yeah. just genuinely thought that some black women had straight hair. Yeah. That was what taught me what a weave was. was like, <laughs> wow. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Learning about the whole, like, hair and weave industry and, like, seeing that in a documentary. I'm sure for, like, people outside of that scope of their perspective in their life, it's like, you know, like, holy shit. Wow. You guys, like, what? It's, I'm sure it's like. Wild. It's wild. No, I'm sure. And it's ironic that he made the documentary and then made that joke. But you know, ah, that's where we are right that's now. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And the whole thing with like Will and Jada's relationship has always been a point of contention uh, within the black community because, you know, Will has like kids from a first his first marriage and Jada has always kind of spoken outwardly about her affection for Tupac. And peop- it, it's not a new thing. Really, if you know who Jada and Will are and if you follow their careers and their lives closely, she's brought up before that like um, 
she's told him something to the sentiment of you do what you want to do but you just need to be comfortable with the person that you are at the end of the day when you come home to me that's what's kind of like their agreement you know basically like if you want to mess around okay you can mess around but if you feel like you can't do that and still be a good partner to me in our relationship then you're gonna have to correct that because she was on a show called Hawthorne with Mark Anthony I think and this show is really old and there was a will they won't they kind of relationship in the show with Jada's character and Mark Anthony's character and then at the end of one of the seasons they kissed and I think that kind of like blossomed into a relationship and I believe that Jada and Will's production company was involved in the production of that show. So when Will saw that, he got jealous. And then the show <clears throat> either got, that season got canceled or the next season got canceled. I don't remember exactly how that happened, but essentially he kind of sabotaged that show because he was jealous. So their relationship has always been like this. But now we're in 2023. And at this point, I'm done. I just want to say that. Like either write a memoir or leave it alone. Okay, like... I, I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to say. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay if you want to tell your truth. But at some point, the truth is exhausting. Like, you don't have to lie. Some you can just stop talking. You ever read an Instagram comment and, and it's got so many likes and you're like, ooh, I wish I'd said that. Um, I think it was... <laughs> it, I think I think it was after... Um, Chris, she came out and said that Chris Rock tried to ask her out. Mm -hmm. I clicked on the I clicked on the comments in the top comment, which had just thousands upon thousands of likes. It was it said, "Please remove me from this group chat." <laughs> I was like, "Exactly, exactly." Yeah, I'm done knowing these things. I yeah. don't need to know anymore. I I wholeheartedly agree with you, and these are the kind of things where, you know, the story just keeps getting updated. And because they're such big names in the industry, it's just trending news every single time. So you're not even seeking it out. It finds you. Like, <laughs> at this point, Instagram's like, hey, do you want to update? Like, no, girl. How many times do I say I'm not interested? I'll have to unfollow every single person I know at this point in order to get this out of my face. So I agree with that comment. And I feel like this is going to be a really funny SNL skit because... Apparently SNL is back now. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Looks like it. Yeah. I think, um, uh, what's his name? Pete, <laughs> Pete, penis pants. What's his name? Pete Davidson. Yeah. That guy. Davidson. There he yes. is. Yeah. He, uh, I didn't watch the clip, but from mm -hmm. what I could see, it was, he came out and said some, made some comments about the Palestine mm -hmm. and Israeli conflict. Uh, conflict. Yeah. I didn't watch it, but that, that would is he still on SNL? He is still on SNL. If he wasn't on it, you would know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm gonna be very honest and say that as a former theater kid, I am I'm I'm done with SNL. Like I really? think Yeah. I think when they brought Alec Baldwin in, that was when I had to tap out, you know? Cause it's so <sighs> overly political. It's just mm -hmm. like whatever political thing happened then that's the main joke i don't know uh, in the 80s they did even in the 90s they just did silly shit mm -hmm. and then yeah i feel like ever since i don't know we'll see i heard a rumor that when lorne michaels leaves eventually or dies 
while still running the show, that Tina Fey is going to take over. In which case, hmm. I think the show could, you know, trend <laughs> upwards again. I just feel like SNL is such an institution that the end of it is unlikely to me. And I'm not saying that we should cancel SNL. I feel like with the political commentary or the social commentary, um, you know, there are plenty, there has to be a show that remarks on the things that are happening around us. So SNL being that vessel to do it, it's fine. It's just that I'm not tuning in. You know, like I used to watch the show from beginning to end. Like I used to be like a huge fan of the show because I wanted to do improv when I was a lot younger and I want to get into that space, like Hollywood and stuff like that. Like I wanted to be like Donald Glover and work on 30 Rock and then be on a show like Community and then have my own TV show and become a recording artist and then do a comedy special. And then next thing I know, I'm a Renaissance man. Like that's what I wanted to do when I was in high school. And at this point, I'm just kind of like tapped out. I know if I ever see like a clip of an SNL skit or anything like that, I just scroll past it at this point because... <clears throat> it's just kind of the same thing over and over again. And also they have a new Lonely Island on there. Like there is this group of these three white comedians where all their parents, I think, have worked in the industry possibly, which is how they got their job on SNL. And these guys like have <laughs> fully released a movie and it's like, okay, so now we're doing SNL movies again. So we're doing the same thing over again. Okay, got it. Got it, got it. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. So I'm just kind of... I'm just kind of done. It's fine. My wife, my wife still likes it, and she'll throw it on Hulu. And it's kind of—I'll uh, just get lost in my phone because. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, occasionally it's occasionally it's funny, and I—I I always like to hear my wife laugh. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's I, I'm with you. I'm not interested anymore. Yeah. I think that it does depend on the guests that they have on the show because anytime there has been someone who's like a comedian and a very talented writer the episode has been pretty good um i'm not saying that like there are some people that aren't good for snl but i'm just saying like donald glover's episode on snl was my favorite episode you know and that was years ago but still one of my favorites um but it's just not something i tune into anymore but one thing i will be tuning in oh wait no there's one more thing i'm not tuning into um the daily wire is making a live action remake of snow white in response to whatever is going on with the Snow White live action remake. I don't know. Apparently it's not happening anymore. Who's who's remake? Yeah, no, Disney canceled it. Disney oh. shook canned it. <laughs> so who's remaking it? The Daily Wire. Do you mean the like public the online publication? Yes. The what? yes, the right wing online publication of the Daily Wire is making their own live action Snow White remake. Snow White and the Evil huh. Queen. Right now. <laughs> no, not interested in that either. <laughs> I just kind of saw that um, on Hollywood Reporter's Twitter. And I was like, I think the wrong publication tweeted this. I feel like that was for The Onion. But okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> if you want to spend your money making a movie that's going to bomb. And then they're going to show reruns on Fox at 1 a.m. Then that's fine. Whatever. Well, I, think the, I don't think the Disney one would have done well either. I got two... Uh, nieces and I just every so often get on the topic of movies with them because they know I have a podcast. They're like, yeah. what are you talking about on your podcast? That's like, 
<laughs> like we I'm not recording anyway. Uh-huh. So I was like, hey, I'm like, hey, because they love Disney. Obviously, they're yeah. two little girls. Yeah. I was like, uh, hey, they canceled the Snow White movie, and they were like, the what? I was like, Snow White, you know, someday my prince will come. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't, I don't know. And then their mother, my sister-in-law, jumped in, and she's like, Snow White's the blah 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 blah, and they're like, oh, I don't like that one. Hmm. So I yeah I don't know who would have gone and seen it anyway. Yeah. Because I don't I don't think little kids are like clamoring to see uh, a, a live action Snow White, but who knows? I didn't know that they canceled it because, from all accounts, when you look it up, it looks like it's still happening in twenty twenty four. But okay, I I could be mistaken. I think I got that piece of information from a youtube source so that might be on me oh i never (laughs) i don't go to youtube for like hollywood news because like source you know i need a source you know what i mean and even when i get something from like hollywood reporter vanity fair i have to double check it because i don't trust the internet you know well it it fit because at the time um who's the lady from west side story who wind her way into a position at the oscars Rachel Zegler? Yes. Zegler. There you go. She was just getting annihilated in in the press. And so when I I saw on YouTube that it was canceled, I was like, "Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. Because Disney is is spineless. Mm. Anything anything that they fear will bring them bad publicity. They're like, no, 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 get it away. Yeah. And all in all, like, with the remakes... Um, garbage. <laughs> I'm not. Garbage. They're all they're all garbage. Like, is there a good one? I know you like Will Smith, but yeah. Come on. Oh, I didn't watch oh, the Aladdin man. one. I'm uh, uh, the original one. I love Robert Williams. Um, forever of and course. always. Like, I mean, what I've been told is one of the. Not only are they doing it because they it, obviously they think they can make money, and they have been making money. They have. They've been, been making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um. I heard the, another reason that they're doing it is because they want to renew all their copyrights oh. so that the copyrights will go even longer. Bastards. They're such bastards. Blech. Man. I hate I'm... that company. I hate <laughs> that company. I'm not going to lie. I have tried to watch the remakes just so I could give like an honest opinion about it because there are some times where I see a trailer and, you know, like I'm of the strong opinion that if... I watch the trailer for your movie or TV show and I don't like it from the trailer. I'm not going to watch it. Like, that's just it, you know? And some people will be like, you know, I'm still going to watch it. I'm still going to give it a chance, blah, 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 whatever. But I'm of the opinion that like, I'm not going to watch it because if you go and watch something like on a streaming service and then they see that the numbers are doing well, then they're going to, they're going to green light season two. You know what I mean? Uh If you go watch a movie and it makes a lot of money at the box office. And people don't like it, but they watched it anyways just to see if it would be bad or not. And it ends up being bad. Listen, they look at the numbers. They're like, okay, we're going to relate it for a sequel. Blah, blah, blah. You know, that's what they see. And me personally, for the remakes, I was just kind of like, okay, newer audience. They're reimagining a story that's already been done, but it's, uh, you know, whatever. twisted excuse they have for it. But um, I think the only remake I liked was Snow... No, not Snow White. was A Little Mermaid. But that's because Hallie Bailey, who is played this Little Mermaid in the film, I've been a fan of her since she was a child. 
like when she was 13 or 14 her and her sister used to upload videos on youtube and then they got a radio disney and then they got a contract with beyonce and then they were learning under her and then they got on various movies and tv shows and then they got on grownish and then you know from there they've had you know wonderful careers and they've released like wow. three albums together under chloe and hallie and now chloe of course has her own career and hallie has her own career so i've been following <laughs> i've been following them since their origin so that's why i went to watch the movie because someone that i am a fan of has like got to the point where she has like reached this place in hollywood where like she's in a disney movie of course i'm going to support her i love that for her you know but she's preggers too Yes, I was hoping that was a rumor, but apparently it's not. So yeah, she looks she looks pretty pregnant. Yeah, how did that happen? Yeah, and you know what? Uh, good for her. She's gonna be a great mom. I am saying this in the nicest way possible, even though I am <laughs> so mad. <laughs> huh. um, yeah, they haven't really fucked with one yet that I. Care and, about and like because I, well, I love Aladdin. I love Lion King. Yeah. Um, Beauty and the Beast. I can take or leave. Uh, I mean, Emma Watson is is absolutely beautiful, but I wouldn't yeah. go see it just because of that. Um, I read maybe like six months ago, maybe less, that they had completed casting for a Lilo and Stitch yes. live action. Yeah. Okay. Apparently that's that, coming. And Moana yeah, I don't as know. well. Sorry, your audio just cut out. What'd you say? Oh, did it? Oh. I said Lilo and Stitch is pretty special <laughs> I just to me. You. Okay, yeah. yeah Sorry Lilo, about that. No, you're fine. You're fine. Um, Lilo and Stitch is amazing. Um, the Moana one, I'm not 100% sure about because I feel like... Why? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's not there's not there's not a whole lot of distance since since it came out. Yeah, um, I was interested. I was interested in the Mulan one, but yeah. that one I remember. I remember every single one of them seems to carry with it its own kind of controversy, which is strange. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't even remember what the controversy was for Mulan. Was I... she not? Chinese was that actress Japanese is that was that what it was I don't remember to be honest there was something to do with like Chinese audiences and the story and I actually didn't watch the Mulan remake because I like looked badass it did look badass but I like the original it looked badass mm-hmm. my wife loves the original she tortures <laughs> me about that <laughs> I do have to say if they do ever whenever they make remakes and at least like the princess if she has a song in the movie she needs to know how to sing. Like, that's my only stipulation. That's why I like The Little Mermaid, because I know Holly Bailey can sing, and she does it very well. I love Emma Watson, but I know she's not a singer. So when I watched The Beauty of the Beast, it's kind of like, okay, girl, you know what? Yeah, I see what they did there. And the same thing with, like, La La Land, which isn't a Disney remake, but Emma Stone can't sing, and she is singing in the movie. And it's not that it's bad. It's not that it's bad. She's a great actress and she does all right with the singing, but you know, she's not a, a singer. <laughs> and that's just me because right. I'm such a, I, I like have a musically trained ear. So whenever I hear singing in movies, I'm like, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Did you, see, did you see Sweeney Todd? I haven't seen Sweeney Todd, okay. if I'm being honest. I, I have a buddy who is also very musically trained mm-hmm. and she is a, 
big theater person. She was, I mean, crazy theater person. And yeah. she, when they did when they did Sweeney Todd and cast Johnny Depp as Sweeney Todd, she's like, <laughs> she's like wait, too, wait, she's like, he can't sing that. There's no way. And then when it came out, she's like, they changed all this. They did all these yeah. gymnastics so that they, he could sing that. That is not. That is bullshit. That is not the way. She was yeah. so pissed. Yeah. I mean, I'm the same person inside, which is why I just don't see it. I just don't watch it. That way, y'all don't have to go through stuff. You don't have to suffer through me, like, going on rants. Because I will go on a rant. Yeah. Um, but that's also why I'm excited for the new Color Purple movie. It's interesting that it's being released because, you know, the Color Purple is a book. And then there's a movie that came out. And then there's a musical. And on the movie, it's based off the musical. That's based off the movie. That's based off the book. So it's kind of a turducken of a remake, but uh. I'll, I'll allow it because Fantasia is in the movie and Fantasia is a phenomenal singer. So it, you know, it, it is what it is. Is it also Oscar bait? Yeah, kind of, but I will also allow it because Fantasia is a phenomenal singer. And if she at least gets a golden globe out of this, then that's fine for me. You know, I'll let it slide. Is she playing, is she playing the role that Whoopi Goldberg played? Yes. In the, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, not to talk about my own podcast, but <laughs> go ahead. We do it. We do a series where we uh, it's called the Streep Effect. Mm-hmm. So we go. Th- we've been going through each and every nomination that Meryl Streep has ever gotten out of her twenty-one, and we're deciding whether she deserved the nomination or not. Mm-hmm. And the year she was nominated for Out of Africa, the person who won—I can't even remember her name now. Um, but she died like a year after she won. It was for a m- movie called Th- A Trip to Bountiful. It's about this old white woman who is like maybe got some shades of dementia and she just leaves. And she's like, I want to go back to my hometown. And it's just like nothing happens. Nothing happens. Mm-hmm. And she won Best Actress for that movie. Mm. And I don't even I don't even think Whoopi Goldberg... She wasn't. Whoopi Goldberg wasn't even nominated. Hmm. And I know I know that wasn't her first movie, but I think it was like her second. I mean, she is crazy good in that movie. So, yeah. Is that this Christmas that that new one, the, the new Color Purple comes out? Cause, yeah, it's okay. Christmas. Yeah, it's got some, got some big shoes to fill. Yeah, I do think that it will fill those shoes just because it does have the same... Like, Steven Spielberg is coming back... Um, I believe as executive director, executive director, yeah. And Oprah Winfrey, of course, is coming back as producer. And I do think it's going to do well, and I am excited for it. Um, so there was a point that I wanted to make from that, but I completely forgot that point. So we, sorry. <laughs> we, no, you're fine. That's oh, no, actually, I did want to bring up a point because to bring up your podcast again, um, it's crazy because I was looking through your episodes about the Meryl Streep effect and I saw you guys started like part one, part two, part three. And I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot how long this woman has been acting. Like, damn. Yeah. And then we were talking yeah, she's about been like, around a minute. Yeah. And I remember we were talking off the mic. Um, you mentioned like the amount of work and the amount of like research you guys do and how you watch all these movies for your podcasts. And me in my mind. One episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For one episode. And I was thinking in my my podcast, like, oh, if someone ever mentioned Meryl Streep and they wanted to do a deep dive on her, in my head, I'm like, okay, but, like, are we going to do all her movies or, like, five? 
And if we pick only five, it's going to be the good five. Because there's some people who have seen all her movies and I haven't. Like I've seen a lot of her movies, but not all of them. And, but then how long is the episode going to be? Am I going to record a three hour episode? Because I can't do that. Like I've done it before, but like that's not by choice. And it's like, damn, that's a lot of work. What's also like, this Meryl Streep. You know, you cannot like, you can't half-ass that. You know what I mean? You got to give her her due. Right. You know, you have to talk right. about, <laughs> you got to go over all the hits, you know? <clears throat> so, yeah. And so excited for The Color Purple, um, mainly because I will be in the theater and I will be singing along because I am annoying. <laughs> yes. See, I, I don't, I don't follow Broadway, so I don't know anytime a, a musical comes out and everyone's like this, you know, won all these Tonys. I'm like, cool. I'll wait for the movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't I mean, go to the, I just don't go to the theater. I mean, there's no, I mean, I don't know how to say it. There's no reason to follow Broadway unless you're like a diehard musical theater fan, even though I love musical theater. I've never been to New York and I've never seen a Broadway musical simply because I don't have the money. And also I feel like a lot more people will be into Broadway musicals if they just put all these musicals on streaming like what's the point of having broadway hd if you only have 20 musicals in your library when you know all these musicals that are on broadway all the time that people would love to see and there's no access to them and that's why they keep making movies out of these musicals because no one's going to see the musicals live like that's why there's a mean girls the musical movie coming out even though we have mean girls the movie and although i love renee rap she's very talented very talented in Sex Lives of College Girls, very talented in Mean Girls the Musical, and she's going to be great in this movie too. But at this point, it is unnecessary. And if you just put it on streaming, like you did with Hamilton on Disney+, Plus, then we would all save so much time and so much would money. You go, would you go to a theater for like one of the like Fathom events where they do... Like sometimes it's like opera and it's like, who the fuck is going to the movie theater to see? But what if they did like, do you know what I'm talking about? Phantom of the Opera? Um, no, they do these things. Um, they did in Arizona. I used uh -huh. to live in Arizona. I'm, I'm from Ohio, back in Ohio now. Maybe they don't do it in Ohio. I don't know. No, they'll like before a movie, you know, the 35 minutes of bullshit that you get before a movie now, sometimes mm -hmm. they'll do an ad where it's like, one night only at the AMC that you're sitting in right now. Mm -hmm. Come and see Luciano Pavarotti, or he's dead, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and it's like exactly what you're talking about. It's a, it's not live, I don't think, but it's a taped version of like a live opera. Uh huh. They could. Would Would you go to a movie? So would you go to a movie theater if they streamed, if they streamed Broadway plays? Yeah, I absolutely would. Theater? But they don't do that okay. where I live. Like, I live in no. Georgia, and the only event I can think of that's close to that is when they show um, old classic movies like Jurassic Park or the Star Wars films. Right. They only do Star Wars films when Star Wars, the sequels are coming out. And there is one movie theater near me that does Studio Ghibli Nights, but they don't do that very often. I think they're going to do it again because Christmas is coming up. But... Um, Mu showing musicals like they don't do that where i live i would love it if they did but i really think that like if you can put hamilton the studio recording on uh disney plus you can do that with every other musical because i watch the tonys and i see the recordings you guys put before you announce the nominations so obviously you have it in the library you just need to release it like 
I'm tired of watching it off someone's phone. I'm tired of searching on YouTube, Beetlejuice the musical, and seeing someone hold it on their phone and then someone walking by or someone dropping their phone or coughing and it shakes. Like, I want to see the musical. I want to watch it in full. I want to watch it in good quality and I'm willing to pay money for it. I'm, I'm ready and willing, please. That's all I ask, you know. Yes. So we That's have strange. That I'm sure you're not the only one. That no. is odd that they don't do that though. Yeah, it is. It is odd. And I'm not I know I'm not the only one. And I don't know who I need to talk to to get this working. Obviously, somebody needs to put me in the room with Bob Iger so we can come to an agreement because whatever he's spending his money on over at Disney is not listen, I got a I got a deal for you, man. And it's not becoming a monopoly and then buying TCM classics and destroying our physical libraries. Okay. It's something completely different, but <laughs> that's for another time. Oh, Monica. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but now we're going to dive into silence the lambs. Um, Cause we have run the gamut on new releases, entertainment news. Um, so we're going to dive into the meat and potatoes of the podcast, which is the psychological thrill film Directed by Jonathan Dem, released in 1991. This is a movie um, starring the amazing Jodie Foster. And she is she plays a young, talented FBI trainee by the name of Clara Starling. She is assigned to interview and gain insights from the brilliant but psychopathic serial killer Hannibal Lecter. Who's played by Anthony Hopkins, who is played by many other people since <laughs> the books have been released, such as Mads McKelson in the show Hannibal on Fox, which initially I think you thought we were going to talk about that today. But... Yes, yes. I, I almost fucked up your show. <laughs> no! <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> yeah. You didn't fuck it up, and I'm going to be completely honest. I was actually surprised when you said yes to talking about Hannibal because from what my experience has been, no one's seen that show. Apparently, I'm the only person who's watched the show and who's watched yeah, all, have, all three seasons. I have one friend. I have one friend who's like, "Oh, you should watch it." I'm like, "Man, I probably won't." I mean, I'll tell you this: it is a really good show. It is pretty good, and honestly, it's one of those shows where you start watching it and you're kind of like, "Where was the streaming? Where was this? What channel was this on?" And when you find out it was on Fox, you're like, "Fox, the same, the Gregory. same channel that did." Bones? The same one that did Two and a Half Men? Was Two and a Half Men on Fox? Probably not. I might be wrong. You're talking, (laughs) again, off mic, we talked about how I'm not a TV uh, person. I've got shows, I've got shows that I like, (laughs) but I I keep rewatching the same ones. I don't, it's too much of a, TV's too much of a commitment. It's too much of a commitment. When you find a good one, it's a great commitment. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, there are shows. There are shows that I own because of how good they were. But yeah, yes. now I physical, art, media. Art. Physical, physical media, physical media. Okay, physical media. Buy DVDs. All right, <laughs> please. We cannot keep pirating things. Please, just spend the money. All right. Uh, That's a whole other rant I could get into because I have personal beef with David Sazlov for taking off. So <laughs> for first of all, shelving Bad Girl, which is already done, and then taking shows off of your streaming library for no reason. Why is it that I can't watch Minx anymore? And now I have to get stars in order to watch this show. I don't want stars. I can't even find it on a pirate platform because it's gone. 
I don't know how they did that, but it's gone now. So guys, when you see a show that you like and you see the DVD box set on Target, spend the $30 and just, and just get it. All right, please. I know that computers don't have DVD ROMs anymore. We can figure something out. All right. That's all I ask. PlayStation. Do you own a play? Do you own a PlayStation? I own an Xbox. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm talking to the talking to does that. I mean, Xbox plays DVDs, don't they? Oh yeah, they do. I'm pretty sure they. Yeah, yeah Pretty yeah, sure yeah. they do. So if you are if you are a console gamer, there you go. Um, yeah, my co-host is getting rid of. He's digitizing his entire library. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that's and really he smart. Has, it it is, but then he's getting rid of his DVDs. Mm. He's in a he's in a decluttering phase of his life right now. Got so. It. I was like, so what are you gonna do with him? He's like, I was gonna donate him to the library. I'm like, fuck, fuck the library. I'm like, I'm like, let me have a, a first dibs. <laughs> so then he saw how many, then he saw how many I was taking, and he, I was like, I looked at him. I saw the look in his eye. I was like, all right, I'll throw you some dollars if you want for this. <laughs> He's like, all right, we'll figure it out after you take everything. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm totally physical media. But anyway, Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. Um, when I first watched this movie, I didn't know it was a horror movie, to be honest. I just thought it was like a procedural film because that's just kind of like how it opens. Because when you see a horror movie, you know it from the jump. You know, there's the music. There is, I mean, if you ever watch Scream, you know, there's a phone call. There is the dreams, if you've ever seen Nightmare on Elm Street. There are a lot of calling cards when it comes to horror films. And Silence of the Lambs, even though it is a horror movie, it is unlike any other horror movie you've anyone's ever seen, especially for me. And I think that's what I love the most about it because it's horror, it's thriller, but it also has this psychological depth to it that wasn't very common um, in the movies that were being released at that time. And also Anthony Hopkins, who is a phenomenal actor <laughs> kills it as Dr. Hannibal Lecter in this game of cat and mouse that we were watching. Um, <clears throat> so Lee, uh, what, is, what are some of your favorite things about Hans of the Lambs? What do you love the most about this movie? What are things you like, you know, things that stand out to you, all that stuff. Um, I'm a big Jodie Foster fan. Mm-hmm, same. Um, I think the story of how she got the role it, I mean, she campaigned. Jonathan Demi didn't didn't want her. Um, oh. I'm blanking. I'm blanking now on who he was trying to get, but she she had to fight tooth and nail for mm-hmm. that role, oh. and and it's amazing that she did because I you know when I watch when I watch Julianne Moore take over that role for her in Hannibal, it's just like I I I want to I want to like this. I want to. I want to suspend my disbelief. I can't do it. Jodie mm-hmm. Foster is Clary's, Clary's Starling. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, I mean, she, she is one of those that one of those child actors. I mean, you brought up uh, Haley. Uh, I always want to say Halle Berry, but it's Haley Bailey. Yeah, I know. It's so similar. Halle Bailey. Yeah. Halle Bailey. Halle. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. She's one of the Jodie Foster was a child actress and, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we've seen so many child actresses and child actors just go the wrong way. Yeah. And you all you have to do is watch a handful of interviews from when Jody was young to when she was 
you know, in her 20s to her 30s. Mm -hmm. um, and even now, even now, I mean, the, the woman has her head on straight and mm -hmm. she kept her head on, kept her head on straight throughout the fame, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, her aside, I mean, the film is just, it just lulls me in. It's, I don't know, I'm, I'm stumbling on my words now here. It's, it's true crime, which... Yeah. I am I am an unfortunate fan of. I, I watch <laughs> way too much. I watch way too much crime documentary. Yeah, I feel and that. It's it's getting in my head. Actually, I need to get a ring camera. Mm. But um, yeah, my wife and I watch it all the time. And and this movie, you were saying it, it's a horror, and it is. It's categorized. You know, it, genre is horror. But I I. I in 1991, this blew everybody's, you know, ass off because it was, it was this psychological thriller with elements of horror to it. Hmm. And it, it's just so, and I'm stumbling now. <laughs> Why did we come on this show, Lee? We came on to talk about Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Um, I do want to think... um, say, Go ahead. <laughs> I do agree with you in that it's a lot like true crime. Because when you're watching true crime documentaries, they always start off very um, calmly. You know, they always start off with, like, the domestic background. Um, of course, they'll paint the picture of, like, what we're here to discuss. Whether it be the Murdoch family, Chris Watts, you know, whatever is the subject of the true crime documentary. And with Silence of the Lambs, it does start off very um, gently. You know, it starts off very calmly in contrast to other horror films because horror films will start off with the kills and then it starts off in suburbia and with the group of teens that we're following in their lives like what's going on with them or the single white female and like what's going on with her and her life and like blah 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 all these things and with science of the lambs we open up the scene <clears throat> with jody at the um quantico in her, doing her yeah. training uh-huh and then she meets but she's uh, all alone but she's all alone out in the she's woods all she's alone. already she's already vulnerable yes like the, the first moment you see her but she's trying to be a badass yes sorry go ahead and that's another thing that um is interesting to me how the film takes these calling cards in horror films and kind of turns it on his head. You don't have this woman running alone in the woods. You have them in a typical horror movie. She's running away from the monster. But in this film, she's just running just generally because she's just doing a, a training exercise. And then, you know, we meet um, Jack Quaid, I believe it is. No, Jack Crawford, Jack Crawford. Um, Jack Quaid is an actor. Do we meet Jack Crawford, who is the FBI instructor um, director and he is telling her about Hannibal Lecter you know and this is our first introduction to the character and in a horror movie introduction to the character is the killing and in this movie the introduction is you know learning about the character telling us who this character is Hannibal the cannibal and what they're in for and then we learn what they are which is a monster and then you meet Dr. Lecter and he's just kind of this creepy guy who's standing super rigid in a cell and just staring at you with his piercing eyes. And that of course, first, that first shot of him, that, that yes. like tracking point of view shot. And he's got his arms behind his just back. Expecting and he's just expecting her. Just waiting. Oh, it's so fucking, so fucking good. <laughs> so creepy. So good. It's so weird. Cause it's such a contrast to the other people that are in the cells 
in the same floor as him. And then there he is, you know, seemingly the worst of them. And he's so calm and collected and just like together, but he's just staring at her. Like his piercing blue eyes just staring directly into her soul. And staring at us, really, staring at the audience. And it's so off-putting and so disturbing. He doesn't, like, he doesn't blink. Unless he in needs that, to. Like, no, he doesn't blink in that movie. Yeah. There's no, there's no shot of him blinking in that movie. Well, he does. There is a shot where um, she has her credentials and she holds it to the glass and he's like, come closer. And he's staring at her and she's staring at him and he blinks just for a second. But that's when he like blinks to break character. That's what I say it is uh, because. Oh, right. Yeah. And I would just say that because um, everything he does is very intentional. You know, he's a very manipulative person. You know, he's a cannibalistic serial killer and also a psychiatrist. So he understands how the mind works and he himself has a mind that psychiatrists want to study, which makes him all the more interesting. But he doesn't want to give up too much. You know what I mean? Are you drawn to him? Because I the, I mean, the story and the film, I think, is, is inten- intends for the viewer to still be drawn to him, despite the obvious horrible things that he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, Clarice is drawn to him as well because he is interesting. He is intriguing. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a, you know, if a person, if a if a puzzle was a person, getting to know yes. him. Um, I, they do such a great job of taking someone who, yeah, I mean, if you if you met him on the street, and you were like, oh my god, it's Anwar. You'd run the other way. But uh-huh. in this movie, it's it's very much you, you're getting like getting sucked in just the way Jody is getting sucked in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. And I think that I am a little bit fascinated by Hannibal Lecter. And I'm fascinated by him because I, in general, am fascinated by, like, bad characters. You know, like, characters who are bad people, like the villains. And that's because villains are so complex. You know, Hannibal Lecter in the movie is kind of, like, almost a legend as a person where we know that he's a bad person. Like his name is Cannibal Cannibal. And we understand that he's done bad things. Like he's in a glass prison, so to speak. You know, like his, everyone else has bars in the prison cell. He has like a little glass wall with like little holes for air. Like that's how bad this guy is. Like he can't even reach his hand through the bars. Like they're just like, absolutely no way. You gotta stay in your box, my guy. Like we can't give you any kind of leverage whatsoever. And that's how bad he is. But when it comes to, um, <clears throat> the complexity of villains, I think they're so interesting because of course his acts are terrible and abominable and absolutely like reprehensible in a way. But it's just like the portrayal of the character, especially through the actor because like Anthony Hopkins is amazing and I love Anthony Hopkins. And then I kind of, I can't help but draw comparisons to him and Mads McKinnelson in Hannibal the show that was on NBC because I did like that show and Hannibal on the show in the show is different from the movie because the movie he is so poised and so restrained and yet captivating and in the show you could tell why he's captivating because he has like the fashion and you kind of see what he does because as the audience we're kind of let into his crimes but we still see him as other people perceive him so we're kind of drawn into the complexities of the character and the aesthetic and the narrative features that bring to that character but we still see him as the person that he like outwardly appears to be you know in um the show i think in the movie 
it's a lot more interesting to see him in Silence of the Lambs because he's barely in the movie. That's the thing. He's not in the movie that much and he's still got the Oscar. <laughs> but his performance for in actor. the movie for a great best actor. And, you know, his performance stands out so much so because everyone is just like drawn to him and not really drawn, but like because of who he is and how terrible he is. But of course, what he knows and the knowledge that he holds is what makes him such an interesting character. Because we want to know, like, how do you know who this person is? How do you know Buffalo Bill? How do you understand these things? Like, how do you, like, see what we don't see? And it's just because he sees what he, he sees what Buffalo Bill sees because he's like him in, like, in almost every sense, you know? So I think that's why I'm so, I think that's why I'm kind of drawn to that character. That's why I like this movie so much. Uh, yeah, good question. <laughs> I don't I, I there's there's not much about this movie I don't like I mean mm -hmm. uh, Howard Shore's Howard Shore's score is oh yeah wonderful and haunting I like the the backstory of Clarice mm -hmm. um, I like her her um, back and forth with Scott Glenn who plays Crawford mm -hmm. um, Ted Levine as Buffalo Bill is uh, I mean, he's he he could have, and maybe even should have been nominated for best supporting actor. Mm -hmm. Even though, like you like you pointed out, I think he's in the movie more than Anthony Hopkins is. Yes. Um, I just I, I it is my only the only thing I don't like about this movie, and it's just my own personal preference. I don't like the the girl who plays Catherine. Okay. The senator, the senator's daughter. Uh huh. Um, I mean, she's not terrible, but I, I think sh she's probably the weakest link. Mm -hmm. Every time she's on screen, I'm, I'm kind of like, nah. <laughs> well, she is. Go to back be, to everybody. Else. She's supposed to be played like a captured victim, you know, like yeah, and she's a, and she's a kid, and she's a kid too. Yeah. She's probably like twenty three years old. So, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's about as close to perfect as you can get, and. We're again off mic. Uh, I I mentioned this is one of three movies to ever win the top five prizes: best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, and mm -hmm. the writing. Mm -hmm. And it's up there with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and It Happened One Night. And so, and I would say, you know, I love Cuckoo's Nest, but I think Silence of the Lambs, despite its like really gory and dark content. Mm -hmm. it's it's so rewatchable like i i i love rewatching movies as i said and <laughs> this one this one i watch at least once a year this one um is up there with jaws mm -hmm. and indiana jones and the last crusade and you know blade runner a handful of others that mm -hmm. i that i make time to rewatch every single year kind of like the way some people reread books every year yeah I definitely agree with you on that. Um, and I would say for someone who is like a fan of horror movies, it's not as gory as I first anticipated it to be. You know, of course, the scene where um, Hannibal escapes and then that one cop is like strung up by the American flag. That's definitely something that I haven't seen in a movie before. And that is definitely like horrifying. And I feel like that is such an interesting um it was such an interesting scene because it comes in the third act of the film. And for someone who watches a lot of horror movies, usually with the killers and like them 
being killers, uh, when they do start doing that, it happens a little sooner. You know, it happens a little earlier in the movie. We don't really wait that long. There isn't that much of a preamble to see, like, why are we scared of this guy? Like, why am I worried about this guy? Why are y'all so frightened by this guy? Like, what makes him so dangerous? And the movie really does gonna do a good job of, like, drawing us into this character and also kind of disarming us in a way where it's like, yeah, he's got the pen, but, like, is he gonna do anything about it? Like, he's being kind of gross towards his senator, but, like, is that really any different from, like, how all these other men are treating Jodie's character, like, Clarice? Like, he seems to, even though, like, he's strapped up and he has a mask and everything and, like, he's dangerous, is there that much a difference between him and everyone else that I've seen in this movie? And then in that scene, when you're watching him, like, take down the two guards... And he's being, like, so careful and calculated. And me, I'm watching it. I'm like, can you get the fuck <laughs> Can you go? <laughs> like, you're supposed to be police officers. Like, I don't expect you to be, like, ninjas. But, you know, like, this is one man. Are we really going to let one man take us down? And, yeah. A little man, too. Yeah. <laughs> not even. A little dude. Like, probably not even 5'6 at that. Come on. Like, let's be real. And I do appreciate that part of the movie because... Um, it does show us like how dangerous he is and I didn't even realize this until the first rewatch the first time I watched the movie but Hannibal doesn't even get caught like <laughs> we're focusing so much on Hannibal and learning about this guy and then he escapes and it's like okay well he's gone now it's like hello what what even happened we let the guy we let the main guy get away we have to get the other guy now you know it's definitely different from other movies that I've seen but I do like that because of course it leaves it open for a sequel which I haven't watched because Jodie Foster, Jodie Foster didn't come for the sequel so I was just like well I'm not gonna watch it then because like that's not clear no she was very upset by the level of violence and it's and it's you know I didn't read any of the books but it's based on Thomas Harris's book Hannibal which was mm-hmm. the sequel to Silence of the Lambs yeah and you know there's a you know, there's more violence. Like Clarice is more of a detective mm-hmm. in Silence of the Lambs, but she's kind of a little bit more of an action hero in in Hannibal. You could argue, mm. um, but you know, if you think if you think the ripped open uh, torso of the cop hanging like a like a bat or something was yeah. was gory, there's there's one part in in Hannibal that will. Uh, will definitely shock you. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing I'm not going to see it cuz you can't make me watch that movie. Trust me. <laughs> and, and and there was there was Manhunter. Did you ever see Manhunter? Manhunter. So Tom Yeah, so Thomas Harris wrote a book called Red Dragon which uh... is about the cop which is about the cop that catches Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. and that was made um, the guy that does the McDonald's commercials now, Brian Cox, from Succession. What? Brian Cox played Hannibal Lecter in Michael Mann's Manhunter, which I think came out in 1981. And that's the prequel to Sansa Lambs. Then he wrote Sansa Lambs, then that came out, and then they did Hannibal after he wrote that, and then they remade Manhunter under the original title, Red Dragon, uh, with Ed Norton and Ray Fiennes, and then once again... Uh, Anthony Hopkins. What? And Emily Watson. Red Dragon's Red Dragon's worth watching. If I if I was going to tell you between Hannibal and Red Dragon, I would watch Red Dragon. Wow. Well, the only thing I really know is more more Anthony Hopkins as as yes. Lecter. So yes. Um, damn, Ray Fiennes. 
Really? Yes. Oh, yes. And he is. So he's essentially the equivalent of Buffalo Bill. He's the one Mm. that he's the killer that they're trying to get Lecter to help him find. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. I mean, from what I know about Red Dragon, I only know as much as the show is because the show is based off of Red Dragon. And it's based. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's based off of Will Graham's relationship with Hannibal. But I think I will want to watch the film because the TV show does take a different um, perspective on Hannibal than what is obviously in Silence of the Lambs. And I think what's in the book from the video essays that I've seen about it and Will Graham and Hannibal's relationship are as more like, as people know, queer coded. So maybe there's something else to be learned from it. But um, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. That is so cool. Okay. Yeah, I can't talk I can't talk, you know, legibly about uh Silence of the Lambs right now, but I can I can rattle off facts. I'm good at that. <laughs> I do have to say Jodie Foster's performance in the movie is definitely one that stands out to me. And I am someone who is very much a stickler when it comes to like sequels, you know, because if the first movie is good, then the second movie has to be better like that's literally the only reason why you have a sequel like i don't want to shift a narrative i don't want to recast i just want a continuation that's all i'm asking for okay and there aren't a lot of um sequels that i've seen where it's better than the previous movie the most recent one i've seen and this is only because i had to watch it for my podcast was the fear street trilogy on netflix i don't know if you've seen that or heard of it I was like, I was super, when I saw that came out, I was into it, but then I read reviews and they said it was awful. Oh no, it's, it's pretty good. I'm not going to lie, but it does, it does cater to the Stranger Things audience. I will say that. So if you're a fan of Stranger Things, or if you're more of a fan of like, um, Netflix, like, I guess originals, then it would cater to you. And also it's definitely more of like a slasher film, but it's, it plays on like, it's definitely more for like younger people. Not that like there are like annoying Gen Z references in it, but just because all the actors are young, you know what I mean? And right. like, and like it's it's a slasher, like it's hundred percent a slasher. And the only reason why I was really into it was because I recognized actors from Stranger Things in that movie, which is why I was like, oh yeah, definitely, I'll watch it. It is good. I love to say. Um, and I'm also not someone who, when I see a new movie, I rely heavily on reviews because I'll, I will quickly, if you say something is really good and that's because you saw Rotten Tomatoes, I will be so quick to say, actually, it's trash. Actually, it's terrible. And Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. I will be fast. Uh And if Rotten Tomatoes doesn't like it and I like it, I will be quick to say, actually, they're wrong again. They're wrong once again. Maybe you guys should stop going on the website to determine what you like in your movies. But that's just because I watch too much TV and I feel like I'm always right. You know, you don't always have to take my opinion for it. That's why I have a podcast. Okay. I was just going to say, that's, <laughs> that's what all podcasters have in common. Yes. They always think they're right. <laughs> yes. I, I just, I mean, I'm so, I'm so always down to watch and rewatch Silence of the Lambs. I just, mm-hmm. I, I saw, have you ever seen David Fincher's Seven? I haven't. I am a huge David Fincher fan, though. I haven't seen the seven, seven though. Okay. So seven was, I saw seven first. I was mm. like in eighth grade when it came out and I saw it in the theater. Um, 
And I was like, okay, you know, serial killer movie. I'm like, I'm aware of Silence of the Lambs. It was never a movie. Because if I watched what my parents brought home from Blockbuster, and they never brought home Silence of the Lambs. So mm-hmm. I, sought it, I sought it out myself. And at first I was like, no, Dave, no, Seven's better. Mm-hmm. And the more, the older I get, the more I watch those two side by side. I just, I like Jonathan Demme's direction mm-hmm. more yeah. than I like David Fincher's. I think, I just, I mean, I think Zodiac, did you ever see Zodiac? Yeah. David Fincher's Zodiac? Mm-hmm. See, I think Zodiac is more closely aligned with Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. There's a calmness, like in Seven, it's very gritty and it's like, it's, it's overly saturated to be is dark and grimy and creepy and scary and 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 I don't know Demi doesn't try as hard but mm-hmm. he does a lot of close so many close-ups in Silence of the Lambs you know like where Clarice tells her stories or mm-hmm. when when Hannibal is talking directly to her or as you said us the audience mm-hmm. I just uh, his use of the camera is um it's so simplistic but it it it's it's like somebody who knows it's like somebody who can taste a broth and be like, yeah, it needs a little bit more salt. I yeah. can't do that. I taste the broth. I'm like, that tastes good to me. Mm-hmm. It's just very simplistic. It's the rudiments of, of filmmaking. And, and Jonathan Demi, May He Rest, was, I, this is his best movie. I don't think anybody would, would argue. Maybe mm-hmm. Philadelphia would be second. Philadelphia is a good movie. Um, but oh, it's a great movie. Oh, yeah. And I agree with you um, with David Fincher and Zodiac. Because one thing about David Fincher, he will, listen, he'll do five takes, he'll do 10 takes, he'll do 90 takes. Do you know, 100 as, takes. Yes. He, yes, he will. Because he's going to get it right. Okay. And that's what and I, he, that's what I appreciate about him as a filmmaker. He's a researcher too. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he's crazy. He's crazy about details like when they made zodiac he wanted everything to be exactly the fucking way it was when it happened mm-hmm. so i don't know i i, I just yeah. I yeah there's it's there's a morbidity to watching movies like these like these are those kinds of movies where i'll try and tell my mom like oh it's this movie's so fucking good mom you gotta watch this she's like i like movies to make me feel good i just want to yeah. watch something that'll i'll feel good it's like this makes me feel good. It's just not like, you know, like, like cheery, happy good. It's, yes. it's like, wow, this is so well made good. Yes. Yeah. You she like doesn't. to watch, um, your mom is someone who will like watch Lifetime or she'll watch like Otherhood Musical. on Netflix. My mom, likes mu- my mom likes musicals. Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals are Absolutely. my mom's favorites. Absolutely. Because that's honestly, that's the great thing about films is that there is a little bit of something for everybody. You know, there is the good, feel good, wholesome films that you watch that, does the story work sometimes? No. Does it make sense critically? No. But you know what? I had fun watching it. So I enjoyed it. And in my mind, that makes a good movie. There are people like that. And then there are people who watch a movie and they're there for the direction. They're there for the principal photography. They're there for like the direct, they're there for everything that the movie gives and all of the technological feats of the film as well. And I know plenty of people that I would recommend Signs of the Lambs to and they would just be like, well, nothing happens for like the first hour, so like, why am I watching it? You know, like Monica, you Bullshit. said this is a horror movie. <laughs> you said this is a horror movie. It's like it is. It's a thriller. You have to give it time. Like that's why I tell people when I watch Mindhunter. Like I love Mindhunter because I love David Fincher, and a lot of people are like it's slow, and I'm like, you have to listen. 
just keep watching. Just keep going. And, you know, if you don't grab someone's attention in the first five minutes, sometimes they're just like, I'm over it. I'm done. Which is why horror movies yeah. start with the kill at the beginning. You know, sometimes they'll go a little slow, they'll draw it out, but they start with the kill at the beginning so people are drawn into it and then they can take their time with the pacing because they know there are more kills to come. But with Sounds of the Lambs, I think the most beautiful thing about the film is the silence in of itself. Because I remember I first watched it and she was talking, she was telling the story about her living on the farm with the family that she had to move in with after her father passed away. Um, and she rescued the lamb because she didn't want it to be killed. And she was talking about the screaming of the lamb. So of course me watching the movie for the first time, I'm like, okay, <laughs> she said screaming of the lambs. And this movie is called The Screaming of the Lambs. So what am I, what is going on? But of course me, when I first watched it, I didn't understand really the silence, like the tension in the film. And like, we're here and we're just like experiencing you know, silence is like a reflection of the character, you know, especially Clarice, because a lot of times she is like processing things or she's lost in thought and she's trying to like digest what Hannibal is saying. And she's just kind of like hearing him and listening to him because she's searching for a clue in that moment. But you don't find it in the moment. You find it in your reflection, you know, which is like silence because, you know, there are some people who can't even sit in silence for five minutes, you know, like, you know, those people that <laughs> talk all the time. And it's just like, are you talking because you're uncomfortable or you want to hear your own voice? You know, you can just shut up. You know what I mean? Like, we can just sit here and it could just be peaceful. But I think I like that about the movie. You know, it uses silence as a tool of introspection because you do need to, like, kind of contemplate your next move when it comes to Hannibal because he moves five steps ahead of you at all times, you know, which is... A really awesome thing to see in the movie and it's definitely interesting to rewatch it after i've seen the show because in the show you already know like what hannibal is doing and you kind of like understand his thought process and you kind of understand like his motivations and in the movie we are using clarice as our vessel you know because obviously she's the main character but she is our eyes and ears so we see her interact with hannibal and also interacting with the men in the movie and that's one thing i forgot this movie is so sexist. <laughs> Not sexist, but like the men in this movie are gross. Like, oh my gosh, she gets hit on so many times <laughs> in this movie. It's so funny, but not funny. And the the only time it seems to like kind of not bother her is when it's that like cross-eyed geek that she's buddies with. The yeah. bug the bug guys. <laughs> you ever go out and get cheeseburgers? <laughs> Doc Doctor, are you hitting on me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> i remember i yeah. first watched that i'm like do you think she's a vegan why did he ask her that but then i didn't realize like i think i watched this movie when i was like in high school so i didn't really like get it the first time when i watched it but now it's like mm -mm. there's a lot going on here <laughs> uh, yeah i mean every every situation that she's put into mm -hmm. it is i mean it it's uh, it's an interesting movie. You know, the older I get, the more I think about how awful it must be hmm. to be a woman. Yeah. And I will and, say... And to be a woman in a, in situations like these. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, there's 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 got to be psychological metaphors underpinning that whole end scene where she's in the dark and doing this shit. 
which is terrifying and mm-hmm. he's got the night vision goggles you know he's got the power she's mm-hmm. got no power i mean she's got the gun but she is completely deprived of of her natural senses which are i don't know her rights or something like that that's uh, just and that ending is so fucking so tense first oh, time i yeah. saw that i'm like oh my god oh my god she's gonna die oh, oh no yeah it's still terrifying still terrifying to watch and i know how it's gonna end i love i love like what you just said because the ending scene is so good but especially like almost every scene that you see her win and i think that um i am glad that i rewatched it today because when i first watched the movie and it gets to the scene where she's at the funeral i think it is and crawford is talking to I think it's the police chief in that area. He's talking to him. He's talking to him. He's like, so the sex crime of this nature is kind of a lot. So maybe we should go in a private room. You know what I mean? And when I'm first watching it in my head, I'm like, okay, he's going to talk to him because, you know, the crime is like really gross and disgusting. You don't want to discuss it in a room full of people where people may be walking in and out. I get it. But upon rewatch, he looks over at Clarice. <laughs> the, the guy looks at her and then they go in the room. And of course, now that I'm older, I realize like, okay, he did that on purpose. And of course, he explains it in the car where he's like, you know, Clarice, these guys, like, they just, they see you because you're a woman and me, like, I'm just trying to make it easy on you. Like, I had to do it. So he could know that we're on the same page. That's not essentially what he said. That's not exactly what he says, but essentially what he's saying. And right. she is like, I get that. I understand that. They, However. You're the example. Yeah. They watch, they watch what you, they look at you to see what to do. Yeah. Like, if you treat me with respect, then they treat me with respect. If you don't regard me as your equal, then they won't regard me as your equal. You see that? Because... First of all, I'm the only reason why this is happening. Okay, you sent me in there for a reason. And I'm getting you, like, access to Lecter. We're getting, like, a Hessar in these... Like, we're solving this case, you know, with my help. But you're treating me like I'm your secretary. Like, I'm your assistant. Like, I'm nobody. Well, he even he even used her, too. Like, he takes... He, the first time she goes, it's with the questionnaires. Mm-hmm. He doesn't... He doesn't... He doesn't explain to her, hey, like, I want you to see if you can become buddies with him. You know, it just he just like wants to see if there will be a connection between the two so that he can then have Clarice, you know, Mm -hmm. pump him for information. Yeah. So, yeah, he he uh, yeah, she's mistreated. All the situations she's in are, are, are varying degrees of of sexist and terrifying and. Mm -hmm. And I do want to say what a fucking movie. (laughs) I do want to say like um, with how gross some of the men can be in the film, it does lend to the movie. It lends to the point of um, uh, what's the point? I don't know how to say this in like a smart way. So I'm just going to say it like Clarice is definitely a different protagonist than you would see in these kind of films where it's like horror, thriller, suspense. Oftentimes it is a man like, figuring out the mystery and figure out the crime and talking to the killer. So it being a woman who is in the driver's seat is obviously very different. And of course, because she's a female in a dominated in a male dominated field, they're not going to respect her. They're not going to regard her as their equal. So of course they're going to be sexist towards her. And that, that makes the movie better because we're exploring like her position and of course, people will be like, oh, well, of course she got close to Hannibal because she's a woman and she's hot. And he smelled her face cream, which was really gross and very off-putting. Like, watching that second time, I was like, ew, what? How do yeah, you- it makes him kind of, it makes him kind of bestial, though, that he's like, 
<laughs> like he has to re- he like he has to rely on his senses other than touch be- you know yeah i i like it it is creepy it yeah. works it works yeah um i think yeah, that yeah sometimes it's, you root you root for the underdog yeah and also sometimes it's good for your characters to be bad like sometimes your character should be sexist outwardly sometimes your characters need to be like gross you know what I mean? If it fits into the time period, then that's what it should be. And that just reminds me of like the Mad Men episode that got removed um, because the guy was wearing blackface. But Mad Men is set in the fifties, right? You know, show Mad Men. Yes. Yeah. I, I, it's either the fifties or the early sixties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the guy wearing blackface is like it lends to the story. You know what I mean? And that's that's what I wanted to say with that point. And like it helps it. You know what I mean? And I do want to bring that up because upon rewatching the movie, because like media has changed so much in the landscape that we live in with <laughs> Buffalo Bill and his weird relationship with his gender identity, it's kind of yes. muddy in a way because it's he's very confused and, you know, um, Hannibal Lecter being like a psychiatrist it's almost like is his gender identity confusing him with like being confused with the mental illness and when i was rewatching it i think i understood a little bit more that like buffalo bill is just like not transgender he's just like gross he's a psycho before he's anything yeah he's psychotic and even and even clarice says you know when she when he brings up they, they they referred to transgenders as transsexuals back yeah. then. And when he brings it up, she says, yeah, but that doesn't wash with the research. Transsexuals are passive. generally non, non-violent, passive. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, yeah, the, the movie comes under... I see what you're saying. I can't stand yeah. it when people are like, oh, this has not aged well. It's like, well... Of course it hasn't aged well. It was made in 1991. Yeah. That's just... It, it aged. It is what it, it is. is. You know, right. I I just bring that up because I can see the side where, like, you have to leave things in the past where it is. And it is, you know, you can regard it as a movie. But, of course, um, not everybody who watches a movie has, like, the mind for <laughs> media literacy. And yeah. I remember watching uh, this documentary on Netflix called Disclosure, which was an examination of, like, trans individuals and their experience in Hollywood and like professionalism and there's this actress she was talking about how she came out to a friend of hers and she was like you know I'm gonna go undergo like surgery and she was like oh like Buffalo Bill and then she was kind of shocked because it was like oh that's the only reference she has to someone being you know transgender is a psychotic killer in a movie <laughs> that came out in 1991 yeah. and of course like yeah. now people have access to like more knowledge but of course some people do not seek that out that's fine but i think that the movie is so good because it is the perfect relic of its time like it is so captivating in a cinematography and in the writing and in the acting and in just like the sincerity of the characters you know like did i want to see that guy throw his sperm in jodie foster's face no i didn't that's disgusting and gross but it makes sense because he's a deranged individual who lives in the bottom of a prison. So it fits. You and he chews I mean? his own tongue off because Lecter's pissed at him for being rude. Oh my god. <laughs> Mig Migs. 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 
Ugh. So gross. So gross indeed. Um, and also, this is like the first movie I've watched where there's like... Um, the suspense in the film is so different, I would say, because it switches killers. And you can't really do that in a lot of horror movies. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one focus. And it's very rare that you can introduce two killers in a horror movie and you can switch the focus and it's still good. Because sometimes if you introduce too many subplots into a film, it just loses the plot altogether. And then you're like, well, then what am I watching? Like, what's the focus here? <laughs> but it does the transition so well. And I love that about Science of the Because Lambs. part of you kind of wants Lecter to get away and every fiber of your being wants Buffalo Bill dead. Yeah. It's so crazy how that happens. I did bring up one of my favorite scenes, mm -hmm. but when she shows up on his, you know, when they do that fake out. Oh my gosh. You do the fake out with the cross cut where you think Joe, they're, they're about to bust into his place and it's Jody. Um, but yeah, where she's in his place and sees the moth and when he turns around, she pushes her her coat out of the way, and she mm. unlocks her gun from the little leather strap. Mm. Thank you, thank you, sir. May I use your phone? <laughs> and that's when he, she knows, and that's when he is like, "Fuck, she knows." Mm -hmm. And then goes down into the basement. And it's just like, no, no, oh, oh god. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch it tomorrow. <laughs> I've already seen it a thousand times, but I, yeah, it might be time. <laughs> time for another rewatch yes i do have to say um what was it when she saw the moth i didn't pick up that she noticed it when i first watched it and then upon my rewatch today i was like uh-uh ain't nobody got a moth like that at their house first of all what is that what is that thing and that's head moth bro also it's so funny how like sir how do you have all this money for these bugs what do you do? That's what I want to know. How do these serial killers have money? Who's paying your well, bills? I think I think it's implied that remember when she goes into she stumbles into the one room and in the bathtub is that like what might have used to have been an old woman who is dissolved into like human pudding. Mm -hmm. I think it's implied that he's basically living off of her money. Oh. That he that he that he killed her and is sort of like take taken over her house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's that's disgusting. That would have been that would have been more fleshed out in a TV show. You know, you would have gotten to see him actually take over the house. Oh my god, nasty, nasty. That's another thing that like with Hannibal the show, they show his crimes. And because he's a cannibal, <laughs> you see him eating people. And sometimes, because this is the thing that people know about Hannibal the show, sometimes he serves the people to other people. Thus, you know, in, what is it? Incriminating people in their crimes? Almost, kind of. Because he's drawing them in. He's he, They let their guard down around him. And he is like, so welcoming and suave. Like a form of assault. Yeah. <laughs> I'm listen. It's not the worst thing the guy's done in this show. Let me tell you something. The show is three. It's three seasons, but damn, them three seasons. Who they crazy? I might need. To, I might need to watch it. I I I think you've inspired me. I would like to. I like Mads. Who plays? Um, what's the cop's name again? Will Graham. Yes, that's Ed Norton 
in um, Red Dragon. In the yes. original, Will Graham was played by the guy from CSI, the dad from Fear. I can't remember his name. <laughs> oh, really? I can't remember. Yes. I think yes. I have his like face, the, but not his name. The first ever CSI, before they started doing CSI everywhere, he uh -huh. was the lead male in the first ever CSI. But... Was it the guy? Is that the guy? Is that the guy? Ted Danson? Is that him? No, Damn. not Ted Danson. Damn. I'll look it up right now. Then I don't know. I'll look it up right now. <laughs> I will have to say um, Hugh Dancy plays Will Graham in the show. And Lawrence Fishburne plays Jack Crawford. And he's very, very good in the role. Like, nice. Lawrence Fishburne is a good actor altogether. But in this show, it's really good. And also, the show's kind of funny sometimes, which I can enjoy in, like, a procedural. Because, let me... It's so funny how the show came on NBC. Because around the time the show was on NBC, it was also around the time that Glee was on Fox. And this does happen sometimes where, for some reason, cable programming, they'll have, like, an array of, like, shows that you would expect on TV and expect on cable and then there's that one random show that is so dark and so weird and so strange that obviously no one's watching it live but for some reason after it ends and then it comes out on streaming it creates a whole fandom and a whole cult of people who are into it and Hannibal is one of those shows where it's kind of like how did y'all how did how did y'all start liking this like no one watched it when it's on air and now people are obsessed with it and there are people who are obsessed with it of course because of the relationship between Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter, because people can't help it. Also, well, I, and it's, I, it's a Brian Fuller Mads show as well, gotten, too. And Mads has gotten huge. Mm -hmm. Mads McKinnelson, phenomenal, phenomenal man. Yes. Oh my gosh, one of my favorite actors ever. Um, yeah. One thing I will say about Hannibal the show, just to let you know, it is kind of gory and it is kind of bloody. So you do have to kind of prepare yourself for that. And when you're. Handle. <laughs> when you're watching him like cook the people it is almost in a kind of like cold and gray like chopped kind of sequence and it's interesting to watch him be a psychiatrist and also help the FBI and then also be Hannibal Lecter and be this charming manipulative serial killer who is played by Mads McKittleson who plays the role so effortlessly it's kind of concerning and then hugh dancy who plays you know how every procedural has like that one white autistic guy with glasses and the long brown hair and you know people he's like in love with the random girl who just like works in the department and is like there's a will they won't they kind of thing um boring. yeah <laughs> did you say boring <laughs> well that sounds boring that sounds boring i'm not gonna it's it's definitely like when you when i watched the first two episodes i'm kind of like okay his character is giving matthew grubler right now but um after a while you do kind of like you kind of warm up to it especially when he starts interacting with hannibal that's when it really gets interesting that's when the symbolism comes in and the show has a lot of symbolism you know you'll see it it's yeah. not it's not hard to miss <laughs> It's not hard. Good, because it will go over my head. <laughs> Trust me, don't make it known. Don't make it known to you. Um, <clears throat> okay. Um, let's see. Oh, also one other thing that I do love about Science of the Lamb is the cinematography. 
which I do love mainly about like, I love that about movies in the 90s because camera work, man, give it to me every single time. Okay. The lighting, the tension. I want it. I want it. Especially the last scene. That was so good because I couldn't do it. Because imagine, imagine acting in the dark. Like imagine it's dark and you're like, not me. It's like, oh, my God. Like, I would have panicked. It's a very calm. It's a very calm hand that directs that movie, and it's and it adds to the it adds to the unease and the tension mm-hmm. and and the close ups too. Like, it's mm-hmm. not only is it unnerving for us to be that close to someone's face, but I mean, what was what's your reaction if somebody tries to take your picture and they put the fucking lens right up to your? You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah. Everybody's gonna see every single imperfection in my. So it puts the actors you know on guard a little bit at the mm-hmm. same time it's just like i said he he was he was a fucking master of just the rudiments like he didn't have to do anything crazy he didn't mm-hmm. have to do any you know god bless the daniels and everything everywhere all at once and yeah and uh with army man but didn't have to do anything nutty anything crazy he just mm-hmm. used the rudiments of of filmmaking and and just made something that is undeniable i'm with yeah. you I miss I miss movies that move a little bit more slowly and take their time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I think that's one of the I think that's one of the things about uh, comic book movies that bother me because they are just like cut 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 cut. Yeah, smash, grab, run, jump, explode. <laughs> I I definitely agree with you on that, and um, there aren't a lot of movies that let you breathe. That come out well there I would say there are maybe I don't watch them or I don't know them um one that does come to mind is Nomadland which is one of my favorite movies um I do love that film uh because it was the first Chloe Zhao movie I'd seen I think it's one of her first before the Eternals and also won best picture and won her best director and it was deserved because it's a phenomenal movie and it's also and Francis McDormand who is incredible and it deserves that nomination as well in that win because the film is about this woman who loses her job due to the recession and the thing that happens is that this is based on a true story her zip code basically goes like it, it no longer exists the town is out of existence because the town is built around this factory and all the people that live in that town work in that factory. So when the factory goes out of business, no one can live in that town anymore. So the zip code ceases to exist. And she is a woman who is a widow. Her kid's grown, long gone. So now she takes up, you know, living in a trailer and just traveling and does gig work for the most part. And a lot of people did have like a lot of things to say in regards to like the gig economy and how the movie doesn't exactly pick paint it in the correct lens but i will say that it's one of the best movies I've the ever amazon seen. the amazon scenes oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah the amazon scenes and i will have to say like i i don't have anything to say in regards to that because i never worked at amazon so i'm just gonna take your word for it because i don't want to work at amazon like damn i know it's right? a tough job who would who would <laughs> listen if i can get a book at 4 a.m. in the morning for whatever reason (laughs) y'all are not getting paid enough for whatever's going on over there but um I love that movie because it takes you in and it's one of those movies that puts you in the gyro seat with the protagonist 
And those films are better than like the quick cuts and stuff. Cause like me, I also love everything everywhere all at once because it made me cry <laughs> and I hate crying in public, but I love that movie. And Nomadland also made me cry because you learn about the actress, obviously like the uh, main character in the movie and it's her real story. And then you learn about the other characters in the film. And I think a lot of the people who were in Nomadland were not actors. They were just like genuine people who like also lived in trailers and have been yeah. living there. Yep. Yeah. A lot of them were. Yeah. And it was, it's such a beautiful film and it feels so simple, but it's so complex and it's so sincere and honest. And it's one of my more favorite movies to watch. Cause even though usually when I watch movies, I want to be entertained, but sometimes you need a film that like causes you to look within yourself and examine the human condition, you know, as like the different perspectives and different lives that we all live. And that's what I loved so much about that movie. And I would have been so mad if Nomadland had not won anything, but I would have understood because the Academy likes to piss me off. So, you know, I'm happy. That was that. the year, that was the year that to bring it back around and close the loop, um, mm -hmm. Viola Davis was up for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yes. And he is in that movie a little bit more than Anthony Hopkins is in Silence of the Lambs, but not uh -huh. much more. She's uh -huh. only in about, I think it's about a buck 40, that movie. And I think she's in it. I think she's in maybe like 28 minutes of an mm -hmm. uh, hour and 40 minute movie. But she was up for best actress. Yeah. And I think she should have beaten Frances McDormand for best actress that year. Personally. Really? I think her performance. Oh yeah. I think her performance was, was towering. I mean, she fucking dominates every time she's in a movie mm -hmm. um but in that one she is just different a different character from anything that i can think of mm -hmm. viola davis in um she had already won at that point once but yeah i think that should have been she still hasn't won best actress she won best supporting actress yeah but she still still has never won best actress <clears throat> I, but I do like, I see what you're saying. I mm -hmm. do like Nomadland. But it would have been a very big show of respect to Viola Davis, the way they did Anthony Hopkins for Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. Dude's barely in it. Dude's barely in it, gets best actor. Marlon Brando, barely in the first Godfather, mm -hmm. wins, wins best actor. It would have been a really cool show of respect to Viola Davis if, you know, for a movie that is clearly not, a, or for her role, which is clearly not a leading role, if mm -hmm. they would have given her best actress. I thought yeah. that would have been cool. I have to say that I do agree with you on that. Um, Ma Rainey, I don't think is her best actress. Um, how do I say this? I like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I love that movie. I love her performance. I love Viola Davis. But I don't think that was the movie that should have gotten her the best actress win. Um, for that year... In my opinion, I don't think a lot of people f felt this way because not a lot of people saw the movie. But I think Vanessa Kirby should have won for Pieces of a Woman because I actually... I agree. <laughs> okay. I love her. I said that on the podcast. Oh my God. Thank you. I agree. She is fucking amazing in that yeah. movie. Yeah. No, definitely. Because I actually do love that film and it's such a amazing movie. And I do like difficult films more just because like... I can't imagine what it's like to make a movie like that and to create something like that and for it to just be yeah. out in the world. But I mean, damn, you deserve that little trophy that they get 
you know, when they call your name up there. Like she really did deserve it. Also, Vanessa Kirby is a really good actress. And really it's, good. It's for her to get that nom means so much to me. <laughs> when she was on the stand at the end mm-hmm. and forgives the midwife, just, oh yeah, Damn. I was a mess. Kills me. I completely agree with you. Yeah. It honestly kills me. And really like, it's so hard because I watch pieces of a woman and each time I recommended it to someone, they're like, what have I seen her in? And I'd have to be like, have you seen the Hobbs Mission and Bob. Shaw movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, that's her. And I'm like, yeah. So her movie is different. This one is really different from that one. Um, So the scene is really like, okay. And then like, you just have to brace yourself for it. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, have you seen that birthing video you see in sex education? Like when you're young? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, it's going to be as uncomfortable as that. But then you have to follow an aftermath. And it's not a happy aftermath. You get what I'm saying? Well, the whole first 20 minutes of that movie is just one continuous cut. Mm-hmm. And Dial Roof is going from room to room. And yep. she's in the bathtub. And then he runs outside. Yeah, yep. that movie. I do like rewatching movies. But that is one that you can't is still re-watch. seared. In- yeah, I don't know if I would be able to rewatch that one. That one's that's mm-hmm. That's one of those ones that's seared into my brain pretty well. Uh- Oh, yeah. Also, I do love the one shot that films do. Like, that little little piece of cinematography, that's my that's my shit right there. Like, that's how you get me, you, you know? Like, and, I, and I have a, a movie for you, Monica, called <laughs> Boiling Point. Oh, what's that about? That is about a, a kitchen in England. Mm-hmm. They just started doing a TV show with the exact same characters. But it's about a kitchen in England. Uh, one night, it's like the start of the evening shift, and the whole movie is one take. Oh, really? The whole, the whole movie is one take. Oh my god! Stephen Stephen Graham is in it. Um, Vinette Net Robinson. Did you ever watch Sherlock? The one with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as uh, okay. You know the one cop female cop that doesn't like him that calls mm. him a freak and a weirdo yes she is vanette robinson she is in boiling point okay um, nice fucking great if you if that's your shit yeah i mean that movie will blow your mind like the level of preparation mm-hmm. and cord and coordination that it took to make it have you ever oh, seen movie. the bear um no but S- I am familiar with it. <laughs> it is one that I will probably watch. That's one you have to watch. I'm telling okay, you right now, right. Lee, you have to watch The Bear. Like, Thank you, you, <laughs> you recommend Boiling Point to me. I literally just looked it up and my first thought was, this is The Bear. This is The Bear, but as a movie. And you know what? I'm going to watch it. It's on my watch list. I'm going to find this. I'm going to stream I it. I think The Bear sounds like it's a little bit more funny. Okay. The thing is, is that it is funny. But it does get stressful. And when I tell you it's stressful, it's one of those shows you watch and every single episode, there is something else. Like there is another problem, another issue, and it just heightens, heightens, heightens. But it's so masterfully done. It's a great, great show. And it's one of those shows I've watched where the second season is truly better than the first season. And the first season is really, really good. Also, um, there's one actress in the movie. Her name's Ayo Edebiri. She's been in a lot of other films recently. She's very, very good in this show. And the main guy, Carmi, he's played by 
the guy from Shameless. I forget the actor's name. Jeremy Allen White. He is okay. the main actor. He's also going to be in the movie with Zac Efron called The Iron Claw, which is a wrestling movie. Yeah. Have you seen the that trailer? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, but he's really, really good. He's talented. It's a great movie. It's a great show. Also, it's also one of those shows where, like, the, um, um, not background, but, like, the side actors are just as good as the main actors. And that's the yeah. one thing that I can find annoying sometimes is if the main actor is boring, but you're more interested in like the side characters and you don't get to know their stories because they're in the side, they're on the sides, but the full, the whole cast is phenomenal in the bear. You have to watch yeah. it. I, I will. Hi- Spro loves it. <laughs> I highly recommend, highly, highly recommend. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Also the 93 Academy Awards was such an interesting lineup. I guess, of films, because I think it was the first Academy Awards that I saw where, like, there were films where I'm either like, this has to win, and this movie, I don't know why it's nominated. Like, I just, I don't like it, you know, like. It's a lot of years at the Academy Awards. There's a lot of years. Have you? A lot of years. Did you watch um, Mank, the David Fitcher film? Did you like it? I like it. I've watched it, sorry. I've watched it several times. Yeah, I do. Oh. I do enjoy it. Not my favorite. <laughs> yeah, not... I could see that. <laughs> I'm not going to lie because I actually did want to like it because it's like David Fincher. Um, it's black and white. You know, it has a really good cast of actors. But when very I was, good. it, you know, very the, stylized, very stylized. Yes. And it's a movie about the creation of Citizen Kane and basically um, the screenwriter's journey trying the film. And in my eyes, it was kind of like, this feels like Oscar bait. Like, it feels like a good movie. And it's an interesting story. But at the same time, it's like, I would have rather preferred a documentary. You know what I mean? It does It does feel like Oscar, Oscar bait, but yeah. it's, also, it's also David Fincher's... Like, I think David Fincher has made two films that have some heart. And mm-hmm. Mank is one of those two. Mank is one of those two. The other one is Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Mm-hmm. And I think he made I think he made both of those with his father in mind. His father was the guy that got him in love with movies, took him to see Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm-hmm. Mank Mank was a script that his dad wrote. Oh. David Fincher's dad wrote, wrote the script for Mank. Um, worked on it his whole life, passed away, and then mm-hmm. David Fincher took the script, worked on it. So it was almost like a little bit of an homage to his father. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I mean, it didn't. Did it? Did it take home? I think it maybe took home one Oscar or none. One or none. It was up for a bunch. It, like, was, it was up for yeah. the big ones too. It was up for a lot. Um, it did take home like production design and best cinematography. Um, it did take home cinematography. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was watching the movie, it I was in my mind, it was like this is like a film student's wet dream, like someone who is like, yeah, <laughs> someone who's well, like. I'm sure if I, I'm sure if I sat down next to somebody that went to film school, they'd be like, "This is this. Yes. That is that. Yes." And the... I'm and I only I only see just the surface stuff. Because there's one scene where I'm not exactly sure who is the leading actor in the scene, but you can tell from the names of the other men in the room. These are names of like other 
screenwriters or other writers in American history at the same yes. point where Citizen Kane is coming out. And I'm just like, okay, if I had the background information, because I had very little. This would be great. Yeah, this would be amazing. Like, this would be so great for me. I'd be like, wow. Wow. But yeah, I, just... I, I think Charles, I think Charles Dance is tremendous. And he's the one that plays, um, who's Charles Foster Kane based on? Who's the guy that owned all the... It's it's late. I've been up for a little, very long time. Who's the guy that owned all the newspapers? I'm not sure. Oh, I'm he's so the one that he's the one that 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 Charles Foster Kane was based on. Oh my god, it's gonna drive me crazy. Anyway, he's great. He's the one, the very super duper rich dude that um, when when Mank gets hammered and he goes over to his house and who is Citizen Kane based on? I'm gonna be mad when I see this. Um, uh... um, while you're looking that up, I do have to say that I was actually surprised that Chloe Zhao won Best Director because I did think it was going to be David Fincher, um, but a lot of people did predict Chloe Zhao to win this film as well because it does have a lot of heart. Nomadland is a really good movie. Yeah, and I think it was also. You know, I think the Academy was feeling a lot of pressure to give it to someone not white and male. Yes. I think yeah. that was a big, I think that it was time to, plus the Academy has been adding members every year. The Academy, the, the average age of the Academy member is going down. So okay. it's not. I did want to. 65 year old white man. Yeah. But I did want to comment yeah, it, on it, that. Um just like bring it back to what you said about Viola Davis. Um, she did win the Oscar for um, Fences. Best Fences, right? But it was Best Supporting, I believe. Yeah, Best Supporting. And this is a funny thing that the Academy does. They say, okay, you know what, guys? We're not going to do Oscar so white anymore because we hear you. We see you. So this is what's going to happen. With every non-white person you bring to us, we're going to give them one Academy Award. You got it. And then they're going to come back next year. And then next year, it's like, oh, you already got yours. Oh, babe, you already got yours. Oh, you're back again. You're in another movie. Babe, sorry, you didn't get a nomination this year. But you'll be in another movie next year. So then maybe you'll get nominated. You want to win? Oh, I don't yeah, know about that. I'm how sorry. Many, how many should Denzel have? <laughs> like five? Like six? Five or six? He got, the last one he got was for um, Roman. Training Day. 2001 training day. are you talking about nominations or actual statues he's think, got two yeah from 19, 1989 and 2001 wait and his last nom his last nomination was for macbeth tragedy of macbeth didn't he win one for roman israel israel esquire or whatever no, he did no, 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 no. hold on he should have won one he should have won one for flight he mm. should have won one for um, Malcolm X. He should have won one for the Hurricane. He should have won one for. I mean, the man should have a mantelpiece of Oscars. So I'm with you. Oh, you're right. Damn. Wow. He's got two fucking, two fucking Oscars. <laughs> one for playing a slave, and then one for playing the evil cop. That the white, the little goateed white cop bests. I fucking hate Training Day. 
<laughs> it's been so I, long I, I mean, seen that. Denzel's great in it, but fuck that movie. <laughs> it's so funny how, like... No, it's not funny. It's not funny at all. But it's so funny how, like, Spike Lee is a well-known black film director. And the only Oscar he has gotten was for Best Adapted Screenplay. He's a director. He's a direct... Okay, let me not take away his win. Let me not, you know, disregard his win. But... Ah! Also, you know, with Jordan Peele, like, winning an Oscar for Nope... Of course, because the Academy does not reward horror movies, as we've seen with. He didn't win an Oscar for Nope. Get out. Oh. He didn't. He... Nope was nominated. It wasn't even that. nominated. Wasn't even nominated. Oh my god. Yes, he. Okay, this is the Academy. Is so funny sometimes because they're like, "All right, guys." So we get it. We don't like horror movies. They're scary. Okay, we can take it. Our hearts, you know, like what'll happen to us. But everyone's talking about this movie, Get Out. And it's so funny because Get Out got out, came out in February. I think it was. And it was in theaters from February till the next Academy Awards. And they're like, God damn it. Like, now we have to put, now we have to nominate this movie because y'all won't shut up about this movie. Y'all won't leave me alone about this movie. And they're like, you know what, sir? It is your first film. We're going to give you this Oscar. And he's probably thinking, oh, this is great. This is awesome. And they're like, okay. Uh -huh. No, not again. I don't give a fuck if he makes 10 I mean, more. Don't ever bring them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, literally. Same, same shit happens. Same shit. I mean, it's always the, the writing Oscar is like the carrot that they give to um, like up and coming filmmakers. Mm -hmm. um, Tarantino's only ever won best, best original screenplay. He's never won a best director Oscar. And he never will. <laughs> I mean, he you really, never I know. I really don't. He's only got one more movie left, according to him. And I don't think it's going to be the one. So, what's but. What's the name of his last movie? The Critic? The Movie Critic? The Movie Critic? Oh, yeah. yeah. I've heard some stuff about that. Mm. Then he does have like an eight-part TV show that he wrote that I think he's still shopping around and negotiating oh okay i did not hear about that but when it lands a streaming service then i'll just put it on my watch list um i'm not gonna lie i did i thought he was gonna win something for once upon a time in hollywood because it has brad pitt and leonardo dicaprio like he said and, Mar and margot Robbie. i mean she's in the movie but is she in the movie like yeah okay the, the like, spirit the spirit of sharon tate Okay, right. Okay, okay. Her feet, her feet are in the mood. Ew. No. No. Don't even go there. Don't. Okay. We started talking about the 93 Academy Awards. Oh my gosh. Sorry, we have to move on. Okay. Yeah, it, it is very late. I'm sorry. Wait. For me. What time zone are you in? Same one as you, but I get up at four in the morning, so. Wait, why? I got work. I got to oh. drive to the south side of Cleveland. And then I got to drive to the east side of Cleveland. And I live on the west side of Cleveland. So okay. Okay. I work a coffee, I work a coffee <clears throat> truck. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I used to be a teacher. I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> I don't blame you. 
I I yeah, don't it, blame you. Tired of being insulted by thirteen year olds. <laughs> uh... <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, Lee. Um, are there any last remarks you'd like to make? Um, in regards to Silence of the Lamb. Any last takeaway no, you have? No. No, I think I repeated myself a lot. I guess I would just say. <laughs> I guess I would just say this was a lot of fun. I I love uh, love talking movies with you. It's, you and I, I think, have the same like ADHD energy. Uh-huh. And we're like, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about this. <laughs> yes, yes, very much so. Um, and I do want to say, um, I have always been someone who like. Okay, how do I say this? I got into movies very late. I was never um, someone who like watched critically acclaimed classic films when i was younger i was watching i was watching like bill no kill bill and like rush hour you know like that's the kind of movies my family was into or i was watching like arthur you know like the movies kids watch (laughs) and like iCarly like obviously because i was a teenager and like getting into movies when i was like in college when I would talk to other people who got into films, they already have like this library of films that they've seen. And me only seeing a few classic films here and there, I didn't have like the repertoire and like the knowledge to like really get into it the same way they do. So Silence of the Lambs is one of the first classic movies that I've seen. And I think it struck me in a way where um, it really set the bar very high for me in terms of like, Films that discuss, you know, uh, psychotic killers, films that use silence and tension as like a means to drive the story forward and build tension in the plot. But also it changed the way I saw like female led films because I will never allow someone to use the excuse of like, it's written by a man. That's why it's bad. That's not an excuse. You can learn how to write. (laughs) Like that's it. You can just learn how to write. That's all I have to say, because really, Science of the Lambs is one of the first movies I've seen where, like, it has a female-led character in it, and I could perfectly understand how she's feeling, and although I watched it when I was, like, in high school, I didn't really understand all the points in the movie, so I didn't really see, like, every single thing, but now upon rewatching it, I, I'm glad that I saw it, because there are plenty of times where I've watched a movie with a female character, and she'll just do the most random stuff, like, she'll start running in high heels, she'll, like... I don't know take a bath when she's about to be murdered she'll like do the most unnecessary things and me as a human being will be like why are you doing this why are we acting this way and i don't allow people to think like that only women can write female characters anybody can write a character not anybody but really like it takes the time and the care and the talent and really just like the precision to create a character who's the driving force of your story, who's meant to tell the story in a sincere, honest way. And for you, for them to be the lens of this story, you cannot just like write it like a guy and then put a woman in this role and then be like, that's it. There, watch the movie. Cause this is a woman in a male dominated field who's talking to a serial killer. He's killed people before. You think he's going to be that nice to her? Like, yeah, he's a little bit sexist. Yes, he asked the um, senator about her nipples. Like, yeah, that's weird and that's deranged, but like, he's a strange man. So, you know, put it in your movie. You know, that's all I'm saying. Like, sometimes you really just gotta learn how to like, if you're gonna tell a story, tell it well and do it well. And I mainly say that because there have been a lot of movies that have come out 
where people want to put like certain messages behind the film and like I'm like that's fine you can have whatever message you want behind your movie but if you cannot tell it well and you cannot tell it carefully and if you can't have any subtlety behind what you're trying to say then you may as well just put it to rest you know like Watchmen is one of my favorite shows ever because it's a continuation of the Watchmen comics and I like that show because it carefully carries on the story from the Watchmen and it sets it in today's political landscape and there are a lot of people who felt like it was too political but I feel like it's good and it's strong and it's really smart and also because it's a tv show it takes the time to tell the story and oh my god even though the show is 10 episodes god damn there's so much in it but it's so good and it's so smart and that's because they take care in the story and they actually want you to like gain something from it you know unlike Movies like A24's Men, which is a film about how hard it is to be a woman. Or it was some sort of biblical allegory. We know how hard it is to be a woman. Please tell me something else. Please. Like, if you're going to have a basic premise, you at least need to expand in it in a very thoughtful manner. And if you want to pull in some weird A24 shit at the end to prove a point then you're just wasting my time. That's all I'm saying. I, I, I like that movie. <laughs> I'll never watch it again, but I enjoyed it. You like that movie? I enjoyed it, yeah, I did. I don't know what the hell it's trying to say, but it, I, it's, it took some risks. <sighs> I mean, I'm fine with taking risks. I'm fine with that. It's A24, you know what I mean? Like, I'll let them be weird for weirdness sake. But I feel like from the director, who is a pretty talented director, like he did Annihilation, he did Ex Machina. I expected more from him. That's all I'm saying. Because I love Annihilation. I think that's a great movie. But Freaky. It It is freaky. It is freaky. It's also one of those horror movies that isn't really like horror. It's more like thriller and also psychological and also suspense. But that's my shit right there. You know? But um, I like that movie. I tried getting my wife to watch that and she's like, nope. It nope. <laughs> it is kind of like I don't know if it's a hard watch, but I understand why I did do well in the box office because when you watch the trailer, it's kind of like okay, it's a Natalie Portman film, so that's why I should watch it. Like, what's it about? And it's like, well, they get lost in this forest, and it's alien. Do you want to see it? Tessa Thompson's in it too. I mean, hmm? you know so. Yeah, that was the final point I wanted to make um, for Silence of the Lambs. And I want to say thank you, Lee, for coming on the pod. Thank you so much for being here. I'm sorry. Totally. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry we ran a little uh, long. Right. No, you're fine. That's all right. I can, I can hit the snooze a few times tomorrow. <laughs> um, there was one last thing I did want to ask your opinion on, if you don't mind. Um, hit me. So there was an article I watched recently. Not oh my gosh, why do I keep saying words wrong? There's an article I late. <laughs> There's an article I read recently talking about how Marvel is changing the way they do television because when Marvel first started making their movie, nope, TV shows, they made them first as movies and then, you know, sliced it up into episodes or they created these television shows in a matter of being limited series 
as you know the same way they do all oh, their movies you have to watch all the movies in order to watch the big movie with the big boss at the end because everything's connected because it's marvel because whenever you watch a marvel property you have to watch seven different videos on youtube then figuring out what does this mean for marvel what does this mean for the next phase in marvel because it is exhausting being a marvel fan and having to know every little thing that happens in this freaking universe like damn can i have a break please maybe i just want to watch moon knight in peace Maybe that's all I want to do. Maybe I don't want to know what happens next, okay? Like, can y'all let me live for five seconds? But I don't know why this is going on recently, but Marvel has realized, oh, when we watch, when we make these TV shows, maybe we should focus on streaming. Maybe we should focus on television. Maybe we should process, make the development process and revamp it in a way where we are creating pilots and show bibles the way the television shows should have been made from the jump and i just wanted to get your opinion on that in case you've ever seen like any of the marvel tv shows i don't know if you have i i haven't haven't, i wanted to watch wandavision and i just (laughs) i'm a huge star wars fan and Mm -hmm. i watched i watched the first episode of kenobi and then i never went back I watched the first. I watched the first season of Mandalorian, and then when the second season came out, I'm like, Nah, I'm good. I'm good. I don't care. Mm-hmm. A, a Rosario Dawson, huge fan of Rosario Dawson. Love the Clone Wars. Love the character of Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. Probably won't ever watch Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a, those are properties that I love. And you're yeah. asking me about Mar. You're asking me about Marvel. I, 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 I'm the wrong person to ask. I mean. They're scrambling right now because their mo- things are not working out anymore. Everything mm-hmm. was working. Every everything was working out for Marvel, mm-hmm. and I mean, Endgame, the Infinity War, Endgame climax was so good. You're never going to be able to match that again. Mm-hmm. Never. You you can only hope to come close. Um, I've heard Loki is very good. Um, I, I, so what are they planning on doing? They're, they're not making the. They're, they're gonna. They're gonna cease making films and just make TV now. Well, they're still gonna make the films. It's just that they're changing the process in which they make these TV shows now, because before. Okay. I think with WandaVision, it was kind of shot as one long movie. And me, I love WandaVision because it actually is very, very good. And you should watch it because it is a very thoughtful exploration into um, Wanda's character. Um, But what they realized with the writer's strike and obviously with the actor's strike, because, you know, if anybody's overworking their employees, it's Marvel, baby. (laughs) One of the biggest studios out there. Duh. Um, one thing that they have realized is that maybe we should change the way we make TV shows. And they truly did realize this with Secret Invasion because there were so many things going on in the background with them changing directors, changing writers, changing set schedules, changing some of the plot. And then there were conflicts with uh, the actor schedules and also with the showrunners for the show. And that really did lead to like the true demise of the show because it is one of the least liked and one of the most unfavorably that's, reviewed shows of Marvel's. That's Nick 
Nick Fury. Yeah, Nick Fury. Secret, yeah. Secret Invasion. That's a bummer that you got a Samuel L. Jackson-led TV show that failed. But I, I think anything right now that Marvel Studios is touching, not anything, but mm-hmm. I mean, even from the my friends that are the most diehard Marvel fans, I am not hearing good things about most of what they're putting out. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie, so, like... I'm definitely, like, a huge Marvel fan, and I'm of the opinion of, like, listen, I already know what I'm signing up for, all right? Secret Evasion, I watched the first episode, because, like, I was like, I have to at least watch the first episode, you know, because I'm going to give it a chance, and after they um, killed off um, Marissa, is that the character's name? That's probably not the character's name, but she was basically, like, one of the, she's played by the girl who plays Robin and How I Met Your Mother. I forget the character's name, but she is literally one of the most well-known characters, one of the original characters from the start she, of Marvel, huh? Is she one of the S.H.I.E.L.D. officers? I think so. Is it Colby Smulders or yes, something like that? Yes, Colby Smulders. That's the actress's they name. killed her? Yes, in episode one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because tell me how you're going to fridge one of the longest standing characters in your series who is also a female-led character and also who is a badass like why would you do this to me and also why would you make samuel jackson this is also it's very disappointing for the actors because you know when you first sign up for a project you're like it's gonna be fine it's gonna be great and then everything goes wrong and then you're already signed on so you can't say no you can't drop out and also he's like the lead actor and also olivia coleman is in it like how is think, it you think good how is it that you brought olivia coleman into this and yet i still cannot watch it just for her i don't know i i wish i i wish i could chime in more um, <laughs> intelligently intelligently on this but yeah i think i i think i i i snuck in and snuck out at the right time i mean i saw I saw the original Iron Man in the theater. I saw Iron Man 3 in the theater. I saw the first Avengers. I skipped out on Age of Ultron. Mm -hmm. And then I saw um, Guardians of the Galaxy, Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and then I think everything else I watched at home. And then I saw Infinity War and Endgame in the theaters like opening day. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, if I don't fucking see these day one... Some motherfucker's going to spoil the ending of this for me. Of course. They always do. So, And it was great. It was great. I'll never forget. I'll never forget Captain America picking up Thor's hammer. Ever. Everybody in the theater theater lost their shit. I'll never forget the portal opening and Chadwick Boseman coming through. I'll never forget it. The The music swelling and him finally saying Avengers Assemble. I'll never forget it. They're never going to touch that. It was like... It was the 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 pinnacle of 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 what Disney Disney Marvel has to offer, in my mm-hmm. opinion. You're never gonna have a fan service. I mean, it might be the best fan service of any IP that I've ever seen. Yeah, I. I mean, I mean the, the none of the new Star Wars have ever touched that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're the right. new Indiana new Indiana Jones certainly didn't. Oh my God. Boy, did that suck. That cut my heart out of my chest. Harrison Ford is too old to be doing this, y'all. He's 80. I know. I know. He's 80. He was my he was my first hero. He's over 80. 
Yeah. He's 81. He's 81. He's over the hill. All right. Mm-hmm. Over the hill, through the woods. Okay. In the valley. Like, y'all gotta give him a break for y'all. <clears throat> yeah. I just say this because um, there is a show that... Because this isn't the first time that Marvel did TV. They did Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was a pretty good show. And then they did, you know... Um, that was on network TV, right? Yeah, that was on ABC. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they did um, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, which nobody talks about. And then they did The Defenders. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to say, the Netflix shows were good. Like, they're actually, like... I will say Daredevil and Jessica Cage are of the best. Luke Cage is pretty good, but I fell off on season two. I'm not going to lie. And Iron Fist, I never really watched that because it wasn't really my cup of tea. And I feel like the only good thing that was going to come from Iron Fist was a spinoff of Sisters of the Dragon with Misty Knight. And I forget the other character's name, but it was going to be an interesting spinoff that eventually got... It wasn't even like... It was like a spinoff they threw up in the air. And even when they had the Marvel Netflix shows going on, it was kind of like is this really gonna come out? And then, you know, Disney was like, actually, let's stop making the Netflix Marvel shows. And they were like, oh, okay, so this is not happening. Got it, yeah. But the real reason why they're doing this revamp is because Daredevil is coming back. It's actually a very good show. I recommend that you check it out. Awesome action. Awesome, like, it's so good. I'm just gonna tell you, it's really, really good. Um, It's on Disney+, Plus, I think, not Netflix anymore. But... They were essentially trying to continue on the Daredevil story, but season four was following more of a legal procedural and less of the action that people were used to with the Netflix show. So, of course, if you're watching Daredevil from season one on until season four, there's going to be a huge tonal shift. And that's when they realized that, oh, maybe we need to change things. Maybe we need to make adjustments over here. You know what I mean? And I know that there's a bit of a shakeup with Marvel because... After Strike, Raider Strike, and also the guy who's supposed to play your big bad got slapped with allegations and he's still fighting that to this day. Like, sir, I don't believe that you broke up a fight between those two fourth graders. All right. I don't even know if those girls are fourth graders, but it, it's so, it, it's, if it looks like a PR stunt and it sounds like a PR stunt, then it's what? Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, audience. <laughs> Yeah, but um, I think that was really when Marvel was kind of like, they saw the decline and like how terrible Secret Invasion did. And with Daredevil, because it was also already so beloved on Netflix and now they're continuing on on Disney Plus, they're kind of like, okay, we can't mess this up. We have to do better with this. Like we have to adjust and like make some changes. Because if you don't do it now, then when will you do it? You know what I mean? Because they have another show coming out in January called Echo, which is um, a movie, a show based off of a deaf hero and then they also have wonder man that's coming out which is a show about this guy who is an actor and his part-time job he's in wait he's a superhero and then in his part-time job he's an actor and a stuntman so they already have two properties that are coming out next year that they have to release so i think it's better late than never to fix that and also blade has not been written filmed they just recently casted Mia Goth in Blade, even though this movie should be in post-production. So they started shooting it. <laughs> they not start shooting it? Lee, I don't know what's going on with that movie. <laughs> at this point, I stopped following it. I'm like, at this point, 
Marshall, you gotta pick something else. Marshall, you gotta get another project underway because I don't know when this movie's gonna be done. They literally switched writers for the movie. Like, I think in the middle of this year, they switched writers for the film. And then a couple months ago, they announced that Mia Goth was cast in this movie. And let me say something. If you announce the film, everyone needs to be casted already. What are we doing? What's this? What is the back end work? What's going on? I don't know. Marvel's got to clean it up. Marvel has to do something. And all oh, I'm saying is horrible. that, listen, all I'm saying is that, yes, I will be going to see the Marvels in theaters because this one thing I'm going to do is have a good time. All right. I'm going to be there with my drink in hand and my pizza and I'm going to be fine, you know, but everything else that comes after it, that's not my issue. That's not my problem. That's not my business. Kevin Feige, you just got to clean up whatever's going on. You got to get your house in order, sir. All right. Because... I don't know. Every every genre that has a a boom like this, and this is what this is what Spielberg said, um, God, maybe like ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Every genre every genre has a boom. It hits its apex, and then it comes down. It happened with with westerns. It happened with melodramas, and it's gonna happen happening <laughs> with superheroes. Yeah. So enjoy it while you can, because I, I think it's going the way of the dodo here in the next couple of years. Damn, damn, damn. <laughs> you know what genre is never going to have a boon, in my opinion, is horror movies. I feel like that's going to go on forever. So Yeah, I, they're, they're the most consistently um, profitable yeah. films yeah. are horror movies. So the Academy needs to buck up, all right? I recognize greatness when they see it, okay? Because The Invisible Man was pretty freaking good. And listen, we already know the rumors with Elizabeth Moss, but I feel like she deserved a nomination, okay? Listen. All right, I'll just say that. I love her. I love her. You yeah. just closed the loop there, bringing it back to horror. <laughs> that, was, that, was the, that was the loop close right there. Yeah. And that's also another thing that I love about Sons of the Lambs. It's based off of Hannibal Lecter, but... Um, one thing I have noticed about new horror movies, they're more based on concept rather than characters. You know, of course they're like the remakes, but like I don't include those in modern horror because it's not modern yeah. horror. Like The Nun, Saw X, all these Halloween, the Halloween trilogy, that's not modern horror. Those are remakes. Don't include that in that bullshit. Okay. When I talk about modern horror, I'm talking about Midsummer. I'm talking about Hereditary. I'm talking about Get Out. I'm talking about another Mood horror movie. Huh? Mood horror, I've heard it called. Mood horror. Mood, like M-O-O-D, mood horror. Mood horror. That's a weird terminology for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they have a vibe to them, those kinds of movies. Especially Ari Aster's movies. It's about the aesthetic. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's about the... Aesthetic horror. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know... Sometimes you go to see a movie for the character in the same way in, you know, back in the day, people would go see a Jack Nicholson movie. They would go see a Julia Roberts movie. And now you're going to see the new Marvel movie. You know, you're going to see the new A24 movie because people like studios and they like concepts. They like visual media more than they care about really like the characters. And of course, like there's still the remakes and the sequels and the existing IPs that draw people to like the character in the movie but 
it's different from Tom Holland playing Superman and Tobey Maguire playing Superman, Spider-Man, not Superman, because Tobey Maguire playing Spider-Man is Spider-Man, but it's Tom Holland, you know, like playing Spider-Man. It's, it's different. I hope it made my point. Did I make my point? I did. Okay. (laughs) But I did want to say, people are saying there's a death of a movie star. There isn't a death of a movie star. Okay. It's just that people are broke and they can't see movies like they used to anymore. Okay. And also they're streaming. All right. Like there are plenty of movie stars out there. Yeah. Like Zendaya, she's a movie star. I'll say that top of my head. The movie star. The movie star. Add that. Yeah. Florence Pugh. I would say she's also a movie star. All right. Listen, um, I got to wrap it up because I'm talking too much. But <laughs> guys, I want to thank Lee once again for being here on the pod. I truly do appreciate it. You literally told me you had to leave and then I kept talking for 20 more minutes. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you for having me on. Thank you for the invite. And uh, maybe we can cross pollinate the other way. And sometime you can come on uh, Spro and Lee take on the Academy. I would love that. I would love that. Ooh. That would be amazing because if there's one thing I will gladly do, it is bitch about award shows. I will do that. Take okay. Oscars away from people. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. Look, anytime award season rolls around, I already know. Like, I'm here to complain. All right. I'm here to, I'm not happy. Even if the person I love gets nominated, I'm still not going to be happy. Because if they don't win, listen, if every single person I want to win doesn't win, hmm. <laughs> It was a flop in my eyes, okay? But <laughs> thank you again for coming on the pod. Where can people find you? Oh, we're everywhere. Anywhere you get podcasts, we're on there. Spotify, Apple. Um, we're originated in Podbean. But yeah, just search up if you're interested. Search up Spro and Lee Take on the Academy and you'll find us. All right, guys. And their descriptions will be... What did I say? Their description? No, their links will be in the description down below. Don't forget to check them out. Spro and Lee take on the Academy. They're on Instagram as well. Uh, listen to their podcast on Podbean or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get their podcast. And thank you again for coming on the pod. Really appreciate it, guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget, full VODs are on Patreon. Go to Patreon for early access to all the things. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, because we're on TikTok. And don't forget to tell all your friends and family about your new favorite podcast. I've been meaning to watch that. And I will see you guys next week. (laughs) New week, new pod, new guest. All right. Goodbye.